Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. How you doing wrestling fans and welcome to another edition of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight Podcast. The only wrestling podcast that brings you back 30 years with vintage audio featuring some of the biggest names of that time and covering all the news stories and breaking developments in the business from 1992. And on this episode, we are going to cover one of the most controversial scandals pro wrestling ever saw to this day, the WWF sex scandals of 1992. Joining me, as always, the renowned pro wrestling journalist, former managing editor of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and so many other landmark newsstand magazines, Mr. Bob Smith. Bob, welcome back for another show. And this one might not be the most fun week to cover, to say the least. John, we both got into professional wrestling because we loved it and enjoyed it. And uh, these type of things are not why we got into wrestling. They're also um, a, a different way of looking back at history, but we really need to look back at it because this is what was going on 30 years ago. And it was, these were such huge stories that they kind of took over the conversation in my office at PWI. And I'm sure your life was kind of wrapped up in all this as it was going on. To say the least, uh, my life had uh, become one big stress ball at the time, um, and this was, was of course, the uh, uh, night before the Donahue show, uh, so there's so much to cover, and it's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be an interesting ride uh, reviewing this particular show. I want to tell you that Donnie Liable, the one-man wrestling encyclopedia, will not be with us on this episode, so for this show, Bob, it's just uh, you and I, so uh, we're going to have some <laughs> We're going to have an interesting time tonight with uh, with this one. You know, notice you were going to say we're going to have some fun, and then you cut yourself off. Because, yeah, <laughs> because, yes, yes, because I don't know if it's going to be fun or not. No. Well, you know, there was a lot of – you and I spoke before we started the taping tonight, and there's a, at this point in history, there are a lot of allegations flying around, and it's really not our point here to – be dredging up all this bad stuff. The point of this is to go over what exactly happened at that point in wrestling history. And and it, it was some serious, deadly serious things on people's minds. And it was unlike even the last set of scandals that we dealt with a few weeks ago. Yeah. This one is a, is a little bit more, uh, you would say salacious and uh, the content of that was going on. Uh, of course, a lot of people's lives, and their reputations 
uh, were at stake with all the allegations that were coming out. Uh, you know, all of us had gotten together uh, this night before, before the Phil Donahue taping, and it was a wild one, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, before we uh, begin the coverage of what happened on March 15th, 1992, I do want to plug our Patreon community, and uh, there's so much stuff up there, and I, and I found uh, uh, a number of things that I'm going to put up uh, as a supplement to this episode uh, there are some videos that I have of some of those uh, shows that we're going to be referencing uh, and what the guest uh, from the show 30 years ago will be referencing. I found a couple of really neat uh, radio interviews that I did uh, right around the time that this happened, one of which was with Bill Mazur, uh, who was also a, a personality on WEVD. So he invited me on his show. Uh, so that'll be uh, that'll be available for all our patrons as well. And uh, I have some really cool photo sets. I've been digitizing more of my negatives and there's some really classic stuff up there. So five bucks a month gets you in the door. That gets you access to the entire Pro Wrestling Spotlight Library, all 151 shows from the first show in 1989 right through uh, this March uh, 15th show of 1992. And you also get access to the podcast early. Uh, we typically upload it uh, for patrons on a Sunday. And on a Thursday night, that's when the rest of the world gets a chance to listen to it. So you will get it early, and you'll get all the archives for 5 bucks a month. And for the $10 level, you get all the bonus audio that I'm referencing. Uh, the $25 level, then you start to get uh, vintage wrestling magazines mailed to you. You get access to all of this bonus video that I have and uh, Zoom conversations with us. And then, of course, there are some other tiers as well that, uh, you know, you're, you're, you get uh, unwatermarked photo sets. You get more vintage magazines. So uh, uh, stop by patreon.com slash John Arezzi. Take a look around. And if you just want to get started with the community, five bucks a month gets you in there. And we really do appreciate that. Well, this episode is going to be a long one. Uh, we, as we will carefully cover these events, which shook the wrestling world and became a mainstream media circus, really. A disclaimer for those of you who might find this subject matter and the topics that have to do with the alleged sexual harassment uh, allegations. Uh, this episode is chock full of those allegations. So be mindful of that as you listen to the show. And if you think you'll be offended in any way, then I recommend that you do not listen because we're going to get a little over here tonight, Bob. Yeah. And you also have to remember, too, allegations are just that. Yeah. You know, we are not here. And I know, John, you agree with me. We're not here to besmirch anybody. We're not here to sully anybody's reputation. We're not here to dredge up bad news for ratings sake. But like we talked about earlier, this is what happened on your show 30 years ago, and it's keeping in time with the history of your career, really. Yeah, very true. And uh, this was a volatile time for me, and it was a scary time for me because of the subject matter that I was covering. And it also, uh, you know, really uh, cracked open that relationship with Vince Russo in an ugly way. Uh, so I know that, uh, after this episode and then the Donahue show that, uh, preceded it, uh, followed it rather, 
you know, Vince and I uh, really started to disintegrate our uh, relationship and based on some, uh, you know, some, uh, I guess uh, I still have to call it um, divide and conquer uh, things that happen with him being invited to a steroid symposium that I was not allowed to go to and mm-hmm. him meeting Vince McMahon and all that we'll be getting to in a few weeks because that's when that breakup happens. But uh, between all of that and, uh, you know, the death threat that I did receive from whoever it might have come from, which happened the very next day, uh, March 16th, uh, 92, the day the Donahue show. Uh, it's kind of, for me, it's um, it's kind of disturbing to relive all of that here today uh, for this show because it was such a nerve-wracking, volatile, stressful, scary time. And you want to cover uh, the allegations and you want to do that. But I got sucked into it too. I mean, you know, there is points on this podcast that I, you know, kind of went on a little diatribe a little bit and, and, you know, I'm not proud of some of that stuff, you know, because I, I tried to be an objective journalist, but, uh, there was so much swirling around every single day. And when there's allegations of kids potentially getting, abused sexually uh you know the the wrestlers with the sexual harassment stuff i mean a lot of them were big boys uh you know that could handle themselves in any type of situation but it's still it was just kind of this this ugly ugly period and uh Mm -hmm. i just advise everybody to fasten your seat belts and we'll go over what happened on the pro wrestling spotlight 30 years ago march 15th 1992 one day before the infamous Phil Donahue show taping and Bob, I guess we have to get started on this, don't we? Yeah, we do. Well, first, I got a couple questions about this particular show. Please. Uh, this show, when it originally aired, was two hours. Your format on the station at the time was one hour. How yeah. did you convince the station to give you the extra hour? Or did you just pay for it? I think uh, we, we paid double that week. Uh, we had not been on the previous two weeks. We had missed two weeks. Right. And we really. And yeah. And and so, um, uh, you know, we did that live remote uh, with Mick Foley, uh, Cactus Jack uh, in Brooklyn. And then the next two weeks we were off. And regarding this, um, all this, all the allegations uh, that took place uh, uh, that we're covering on this broadcast, uh, all that stuff kind of went public while we were not on the air. So this was this was an important one to cover. And because of all the people coming in for Donahue, Dave Meltzer, Barry Orton, Billy Graham, Bruno Sammartino, um, uh, you know, it, we had to we had to expand the show for this one night. It just had to be done because we would have never been able to cover it the way we did. And with. You know, we'll hear Billy Graham, and when Billy gets going, I mean, that takes up a lot of time as it is with his his promos mm-hmm. on this stuff. Well, there's there's another factor. I think more than any other show that you did up to this point, you had a studio full of wrestling legends. Yet, yeah. I bet this was no fun. No, it wasn't, and we were being filmed. Uh, CBS Evening News was in there. Uh, there's a, there was a Dan Rather report called Eye on America, mm-hmm. and uh, they had reached out because of what was going on. 
And it was around the time also that Vince had the conversations with Lord Littlebrook about the alleged, uh, um, the alleged uh, solicitation, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, by Pat Patterson to Karate Kid, and and they and they wanted to cover that part of it, and they actually flew to Missouri to film Lord Littlebrook and Karate Kid. So uh, the reporter was there, the producer was there, camera crew was there. Randy Bassett, who was my contact at WEVD, was there. Of course, Vince Russo, the engineers, and you know, and and it was it was hard to maintain any level of organization uh, because there was so much going on at one time, and there were other people participating on the phone, like Billy Jack Haynes and Ken Patera, and uh, it was a and, and we had uh, Little Brook and, and Karate Kid on the on the show too. So it was jam packed mm-hmm. with people who were doing nothing that was saying anything good about the wrestling business. It was all about what, what was going on in the alleged, uh, uh, you know, the allegations that were being thrown about. Well, I'll tell you what, if you swing a few miles to Rockville center where I used to sit. Yeah. Working for pro wrestling illustrated at the time. I was a disenchanted puppy at that point. I okay. was not only upset about all these things going on and the fact that we weren't covering wrestling. You know, we were like news reporters at that point, you know, which was not really the flavor of our magazines up to that point. But secondly, I was growing disenchanted, and this is a public declaration with my job. Um, they were There was rumors that we were going to sell the company, which I think were about to come true. And uh, it wasn't too long after that 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 actually happened, which led to my demise and my leaving the company. So I was a disenchanted guy at this point because, you know, all this ugly stuff going on where, you know, I was a little insulated from it because I think we had Dave Rosenbaum covering the hard news at that point. Uh, I was still I I'm pretty sure of my memory because Craig Peters was working on WCW magazine. So my job was to put everything together kind of managing editor means you manage the whole thing. So I was so busy doing the nuts and bolts, putting ads in, you know, all the minutiae work that comes with publishing. So I was kind of shielded from it. But with every extra allegation that came along, and it seems like there was a new allegation every day from a different source back then. Yeah, yeah. Then there was other people who worked on the ring crew who were on Geraldo and other shows. And there was a referee, a female referee named Reader Chatterton who got involved and there were so many. I mean, a guy named Tom Hankins, who was a job guy, came out of the blue, and he was on the Donahue show. And then Murray Hodgson, obviously the announcer, who was uh, terminated uh, based uh, from what he said because he wouldn't um, uh, he wouldn't uh, you know listen to Pat Patterson. Uh, I mean, so it's like it's it was nuts. It mm-hmm. was nuts. And even looking at some of the videos from back then, um, it was. It was crazy because it was a feeding frenzy for the for the media, too. Well, yeah, every Inside Edition style show had wrestling on it at that point every day for it felt like two weeks. It's just one person after another person after another person. And then Donahue and then left and right and sideways. It was helping us from all directions. And another thing, I mean, there was uh, another camera crew from Philadelphia. Now that I'm remembering it all from uh, it was called Evening Magazine. And oh, they, yeah. did a, okay. they did a whole big piece on it. And there was a crew uh, from Evening Magazine that I met at the station, not this particular night. They came in from Philly, brought me in the studio to, to cut some B-roll 
of of me. So that happened this week as well. So and that was a big to do, and that was a big piece that they ran in the Philadelphia market. So, and then I had to do it. There was an interview in Florida. So there was all kinds of stuff swirling around me. And I don't know why I was the guy that, you know, the media was all contacting about this, I guess, because of the radio show, obviously, yeah. because I was out there and I was in all the Muchnick articles about the steroid stuff. And, and uh, even the very first article about the ring boys um, in the New York post, which I believe uh, came out. Uh, I don't have the specific date, but I was mentioned in that article. Give me a quote. Uh, and that wasn't even a sports section. I was on like page four or five of the New York post when they did their, did their story on it. So I was in the middle of all of it and I wasn't happy about it either. Um, because I felt, you know, there was a target on my back, um, because I was covering this stuff. Uh, I didn't know how it would affect my career. I had a partner who was, you know, getting a little wacky now. It's like he wasn't happy. And so uh, reliving all of this is kind of difficult. Yeah, it must be. And um, again, you had this, I don't know what to call it. You had this ability to get people to come on your show and just open up and spill the beans about everything. Yeah. And they came to you. Now, when it when it came to assembling this bunch, I know they were in the area for the Donahue show. But mm-hmm. did you have any of these people come to you and say, I want to come on your show and tell my story? Or is that how it worked? Or did you go to them? Uh, well, Billy uh, Graham, uh, of course, and I were, were close, uh, fairly close at the time. And he, of course, was coming in for Donahue and wanted to do it. Bruno wanted to come on because he was on Larry King a few nights earlier and didn't come off very well. And he was coming into New York. Uh, Melcher was coming to New York. So obviously he, you know, I invited him to come on. Uh, Barry O, he had gotten me a, a hold of Barry. I had not known Barry before. I invited mm-hmm. Barry to come into the studio. And then Russo was working on the, uh, you know, the angle with Lord Littlebrook and Karate Kid. So uh, he's the one that had that going. And then also the Patera, he had that going. Billy Jack Haynes, I don't remember how that happened. It might have been Vince reaching out to him to do an interview uh, and inviting him on the show. Uh, but for me, I know it was Bruno, uh, Barry, uh, Meltzer, Graham. Uh, were the ones that I was really responsible for inviting in. Uh, and then when everyone found out, you know, everyone knew that the station was powerful, 50,000 watts. And uh, and then, you know, with CBS uh, Evening News coming in to film it all, too. I mean, that was it was uh, it was a little circus in the in the studios on Broadway that night in New York City. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine what this was like for you. Cause I, you know, I've been in the studio with you several times and it yeah. was like, it was like kind of laid back and funky and fun and fun, fun every time. But the thing is, this could not have been fun. I mean, I mean, like I said, there you are with legends and friends, both. And yeah. you're probably sweat, sweating bullets. Yeah. Yeah. It was not, uh, I, I was, not in a good I wasn't in a good place. There's no other way to put it. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even happy. I mean, on the Donahue show, I wasn't happy even being there. Really. I wasn't. But I was invited and uh I felt that whatever I can add to the conversation, I can add. But you know, certainly looking at myself back then on a personal standpoint of uh being so much heavier than I am today and <laughs> wearing those shady dark glasses, which 
really didn't do much for my uh, credibility. You know, I kind of looked like this uh, Carney guy sitting there in the middle of, you know, Bruno and Vince McMahon and Meltzer and Graham. And I was not happy with it. And I'm not happy with that Donahue appearance to this day. I just wasn't. Um, so I wasn't happy with that whole Donahue show. I just think it was bad. Very, very bad looking back at it 30 years later. I can understand that. You know, I just, you, you, you question, you start to question things when things get this hairy, when they get this serious, you know, it's and I, like I said, I was sitting in my office going, wow, you know, this doesn't feel like things are heading in a very positive direction. You couldn't help no, but feel that way. No, and I think I a lot of people in my office felt that way too. And, you know, having Vince McMahon sitting two seats away from me and every time I opened my mouth, I mean, and when I caught him in that lie about the Arsenio show with Hogan and, you know, and uh, the looks that I was getting from him were just, they were frightening. He, he was not a happy man with me. Um, not at all. So, uh, yeah, all of that was going on and it was not fun at all. Not at mm. all. Well, I guess we've reached the point now where I think we should just let's get into it, huh? Because we have a lot here, folks. This is gonna be a long show, and we got a lot of clips. So, uh, you want to start the uh, trip down jaded memory lane? I guess yeah. we'll, we'll go down uh, nightmare lane. Uh, that's a good. One. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Okay, folks, strap 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 in now. Here we go. Good evening, wrestling fans. How you doing? Welcome to another edition after a two-week absence of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. And what a way to return after a two-week absence with uh, perhaps the most devastating couple of weeks publicity-wise in the history of professional wrestling. All the scandals that have broken nationwide, the mainstream media covering professional wrestling like they've never covered it before, including in the heydays of the beginnings of WrestleMania. There's so much publicity happening right now. A matter of fact, uh, uh, I'll even mention that we're being filmed right now by the CBS Evening News as we broadcast to you out there. Now, we have a number of special guests here in the studio joining us. We'll have a number of special guests on the telephone. I'd like to first introduce... Dave Meltzer, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, who's here in the studio. And Dave, it's the first time you've ever graced the Pro Wrestling Spotlight live inside the studio. Welcome. How you doing, John? We're hanging in there, and um, it's been a pretty hectic couple of weeks, hasn't it been? It's probably been uh, just about the most hectic last three weeks of my life, yeah. It's been crazy. And uh, sitting to my left, uh, one of the former professional wrestlers who, uh, ironically, uh, several weeks ago, appeared on... A wrestling talk show out in Las Vegas, the Wrestling Insiders. A couple of things were mentioned, and uh, all hell broke loose. And uh, here tonight, Barry Orton, welcome. How do you do? It's a pleasure to be here. Well, uh, we're Dave is in here uh, in New York tonight, and uh, Barry's here also in New York tonight uh, to film the Phil Donahue show tomorrow. We're giving you details on that. Superstar Billy Graham is expected to be joining us here in the studio as well. Uh, in uh, just a little bit, he is in transit, and he will be joining us here live in the studio. On the telephone tonight, we will be joined by the living legend of professional wrestling, Bruno Sammartino. We'll be joined by Billy Jack Haynes from Portland, Oregon. We'll be joined by two very special guests as well. 
in a story that will be breaking tonight on the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and it is a bizarre one, perhaps the most bizarre in this entire scandal. And the scandal we're referring to is the World Wrestling Federation, the sexual harassment allegations that continue. Since we last broadcast, Vice Presidents of the World Wrestling Federation, Pat Patterson and Terry Garvin, tendered their resignation. Ring announcer, or as Vince McMahon said on the Larry King show just a couple of nights ago, Mel Phillips, uh, the uh, occasional laborer for the World Wrestling Federation, who's been on television, I guess, for the last 200 consecutive weeks, <laughs> is no longer with the organization. Ouch. What can I say? I, 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 yeah. I'm, and this was just the intro. <laughs> it was the opening salvo, yes. Uh, Great. Yeah, we were just preparing everybody for what they were about to hear, and I'm sure that the... Uh, uh, the listeners were glued to their radios, and I'm pretty sure that uh, a number of people in Connecticut who worked at uh, Titan Sports and Titan Towers, is what we called it back then, were listening as well. And um, didn't know what was going to happen over the two hours. All I know is it's going to be crazy. Well, the accusation is going to be flying fast and furious. And again, I want to emphasize... That's really what happened. It, these are the accuracy. These are people laying out what they felt, how they had been wronged in one way or another. These are not convictions. These are not crimes. They're not, they're not anything other than what you're hearing right here. And I want to emphasize, does that make any sense, John? I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, sometimes people feel righteous about what they've gone through and, Nothing ever comes of it. Right. And a lot of the stuff was allegations that were happening or happened uh, allegedly years prior to that. Mm -hmm. So uh, so it was all over the place. It was a wide spectrum, a spectrum of many, many years involving many, many allegations involving three individuals, for the most part, Terry Garvin, Pat Patterson and Mel Phillips. Uh, and it was really the responsibility of one man, Vince McMahon, to kind of get a handle on all this and, you know, uh, internally find out what was true and what was not. I think that's what everybody really wanted was like, what happened? How could you prevent it from happening again? And to really dive deep into the internal investigations to see if what these allegations were true or not. And. Uh, and then, you know, the Mel Phillips stuff was just uh, it was just ridiculous in so many ways, uh, because uh, for someone to go on national TV and said he was an occasional laborer, although he worked with us every single day, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, um, so there was a lot of stuff that wasn't that, you know, and I think a lot of this stuff could have been avoided if more attention was paid to the uh, culture of what was going on in the organization. And it's, it's you know, I can't help but think hearing these things, how mores and how opinions about things have changed in the last 30 years, you know, yeah. about virtually everything about yeah. sexuality, about anything you want to, you want to talk about in this regard. Can There's you imagine, can you imagine if this was happening today? With I can't social imagine media And yeah, you know, the me too movement and, you know, all of the things that have changed in society 
and these uh, the increased sensitivity about things that were being alleged. I mean, people get canceled today for uh, for so many things. Uh, but this 30 years ago, if it was happening today, wow, what would the coverage been today? I, I no comment. <laughs> right. Right. Be- because you know what? Uck, man. Uh, uck. You know, uh, there, there's, there's some things that we're about to hear here that are pretty nasty. Oh, yeah. uh, the allegations yeah. are nasty. The very subject matter is unsavory. Yeah. And again, uh, it's this it, is part of history, and we can't. This is the 800 pound no, ugly we're, we're, gorilla in the room. Yeah, we have to cover what you know. This what our show concept is: is we go back 30 years to review what the show was talking about 30 years ago. And this is where we're at in history. This is where we're at in time. And folks, I really mean this. Uh, Let me just speak for myself. I'd rather be talking about the kind of foreign objects that Baron Mikel Cicluna used. I'd rather talk about match strategy. I'd rather talk about championships and and storylines and the things that make wrestling fans happy. Yep. This wasn't that. This was the farthest thing from that. Absolutely. It was the crazy uh, part of the business. And it was uh, an ugly, ugly, ugly... uh, period in the history of professional wrestling yeah but, but before we, we, we were there but, to cover it right but go ahead bob but before the poop hits the fan mm-hmm. we have don liable the one-man wrestling encyclopedia and he's not with us tonight feeling a little under the weather but we do have his news capsule yes which we have redubbed the time capsule and let's get the hard news of the day before we get into the muck and mire shall we mm-hmm Let's bring on, uh, let's bring on Donnie Libel. Thank you, John, and once again, welcome everybody back for another week here on the Spotlight. And thanks, John, and a special greetings to your in-studio guests. Good evening, everyone. Leading off the capsule tonight, well, the World Wrestling Federation continues to struggle to get the monkey of controversy off their back. Now, as we said earlier, two weeks ago, then-Vice President Pat Patterson and Terry Garvin, both members of Titan Sports, the parent company of the WWF, resigned amid reports of alleged sexual misconduct involving minors. Now, this past Friday on CNN's Larry King show, Vince McMahon and former world champion Bruno Sammartino squared off over the multitude of charges being addressed by the media concerning the Federation. Former WWF ring announcer Murray Hodgson has filed a lawsuit uh, claiming sexual uh, alleged sexual advance by a WWF employee. Now, the WWF response to the allegations made, we don't believe these charges to be true. Now, turning to in-ring news concerning the WWF, several new faces appeared on this past week's television taping held in Mobile, Alabama. The Maulers, Jackal Victory, and Rip Morgan last seen teaming for the Global Wrestling Federation in Texas made their debut for the WWF, as did the Samoan SWAT team, that being Fatu and Samoan Savage. Now, previously appearing in World Championship Wrestling and numerous independent promotions as heels, apparently plans are for the SST this time around to be fan favorites. And expect a few to erupt after WrestleMania between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Events transpired at the tapings to support that program. And in taking a look at the happenings with WCW, they too had an interesting taping session last week in Anderson, South Carolina. Now, the twosome of Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Terry Gordy took part in three matches. None are expected to air throughout the WCW's television network until May. Now, look for Williams and Gordy, who publicly denounced their U.S. citizenship in front of the cameras and will be billed as from Nagoya, Japan, 
to be at war with the Steiner brothers along the WCW circuit in between commitments in the Orient come June. And don't be surprised to see Kevin Sullivan resurface with the WCW shortly. And J.T. Southern of Asbury Park, New Jersey, took to the ring in Anderson last Monday. Now, you may remember Southern. Uh, he last appeared regularly on U.S. bookings several years back with the American Wrestling Association. And finally, the final bell has rung for Minneapolis, Minnesota's popular Saturday night at ringside. Mick Karch hosted the two-and-a-half-hour television wrestling block, which presented WCW and GWF tapes as well as features and interviews at KTMA TV 23 for 200 shows. Now, a report in this week's edition of Pro Wrestling Torch Weekly claims the station was recently sold and the new owners are interested in featuring family-oriented programming only. Hmm. Now, Karch, besides his TV commentating, has held many other wrestling-related chores in his two decades in wrestling. For the Pro Wrestling Spotlight Productions, I'm Don Libel reporting. Okay, Capsule Don time, 10-11. Donnie, thank you very much, and we'll speak to you again next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I'll tell you, uh, just, just just an aside, I have nothing but the highest respect for Ken Resnick, uh, Mick Karch, the whole AWA team, the most underrated TV in the history of wrestling. I, I really enjoyed their work, and uh, that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were quality guys. I mean, uh, and, you know, covering some of this other stuff that Donnie was trying to fit into the capsule um, with, you know, everything else swirling around. Um, yeah, he... Uh, uh, did misspeak a little bit there uh, because I don't believe Murray Hodgson was a ring announcer. Uh, I think Murray did more some syndicated TV. And, of course, he had been hired to uh, be a part of the WBF, which well, really there, never, You know, there were so many people involved at this point that the allegations started to get a little muddled. Yeah, and this was before Murray told his story to uh, Donahue which, you know, the very next day he had this incredible one-on-one uh, -on -one with Vince McMahon and Murray was kind of eating his lunch uh, in a lot of it. But, you know, how much of it was true? What happened to Murray afterwards? Uh, where did he go? Uh, I mean, um, but he kind of handled himself really well on the Donahue show. I do remember that. And for everybody who has watched that show, uh, Murray uh, uh, came across as very credible. You know, who knows, right? Who knows? I'm not even going to speculate. And I, I don't right. want to speculate. I'm just. No, there's I'm no just... reason to at this point because. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's all been covered back and forth over the last 30 mm -hmm. years. And uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, whatever you're going to believe, you're going to believe. Uh, so, you know, the whole story. And, and as, uh, as we get into all of this, I mean, really, who knows who right. was lying, not lying. Who was in it to make a payday? Who was not? You know, what actually happened? What was the story with the ring boys? What was the story with, you know, I, I firmly believe that there was stuff going on with Mel. I, I firmly believe that uh, with Terry Garvin, as we'll, you know, discuss. I mean, there was some shady stuff going on and they were, you know, there was always a lot of inside jokes that were even on the TV. 
when they were announcing and doing play-by-play. You know, there was a lot of these little innuendos that when they talked about Terry or Pat even, uh, they would make these inside jokes. And so, you know, but this is not fun. This is not a funny situation. This is not jovial. And again, these are allegations, the word allegedly. Yes, Bob. They were. I, I'm pounding right? that over. I'm pounding that over everybody's heads here because of course, it's, you it's have like, to. You have to because it's like I I can only listen. Yeah. Hear what's in my own head and right. just try to drink all this really nasty let me, taste. Let me it. ask you a question. I mean, yeah, when, go you, ahead. when you first started listening to this stuff, when you know the tape was uploaded and you sat down with your coffee or whatever and said, "All right, let's listen to you know make some notes about the show." What What's your reaction when you started listening to all this? Well, you know, I was around at the time, and I, I knew each of these allegations yeah. really before I, I heard them. But the amount of them, yeah, the avalanche. Everybody was coming out of the woodwork here. I mean, yeah. uh, Billy Jack, the first guest that we're going to co- go to next. Yeah, I didn't know he was disgruntled at all. I, I didn't know he had a, this much of a problem. You know, when he came to the WWF, he was he was probably considered by many to be the next big star in wrestling mm-hmm. based on his success in Portland and, and other places. And it didn't work out that way, did no. it? No, he had he definitely had he had an agenda in a lot of this, as we're gonna hear. Uh and a, a lot of it really maybe stemmed from him wanting to get back to work and you know, we'll hear his story on it, but there's you know, you have to think of when people are out there saying what they're saying, you know, what could be possible ulterior motives, what could be true, what happened, how do you spin it? So it was all of that. And as a host, uh, you know, trying to uh, uh, muddle through all of it was not the easiest thing in the world. It couldn't have been. And because, you know, everybody speaking was unhappy, you know, and that nobody was, having a joyous time on this particular program no there was no cake and ice cream in the studio (laughs) (laughs) gee i missed that when i was there (laughs) although i think i I think i detected a couple guys having shots at one point but that's that's a whole nother bowl of wax or after the show yeah so anyway here's the first guest in earnest uh the first phone guest is billy jack who was redubbed billy jack haynes in the wwf and uh He's got a lot to say, John. Holy smokes. Let's listen to Billy. Here we go. We're going to bring on uh, Billy Jack Haynes, first of all. And um, Billy's coming to us direct from Portland, Oregon. And uh, should I punch Billy up in here? Do you got him? Okay. Billy, are you with us? I'm with you, John Anthony or Resi. How you doing, sir? Doing okay, brother. Well, a lot of things have been going on, as you well know. And uh, <clears throat> there's been some things happening uh, in your life as well over the past uh, few months that uh, needs to be brought to light, I would guess. Uh, first of all, you were a major star with the World Wrestling Federation, and uh, you've traveled, of course, uh, throughout the world and uh, uh, was a mainstay in the Portland, Oregon area. Uh, when did you actually leave the uh, WWF? I started WWF in 1986, and my last match was uh, January 28, 1988. Mm-hmm. Uh, reason being, uh, before I got to the WWF, very little steroids, very little uh, anything. And I left basically because I was com- becoming addicted to steroids and to codeines, and uh, I felt it, and I had to get out. What year was that that you left? That was in January of 1988. 
Okay, so you were a user of the steroids as well, and uh, uh, unfortunately uh, with some other drugs. Yes. Um, there was a situation that developed uh, not too long ago, I guess it was back in February, uh, where you were trying to get back in the World Wrestling Federation. And can you explain uh, to us and our audience exactly uh, what happened uh, when you tried to get back in the WWF? Well, I had got myself back in good shape. I had injured me, and, uh, but I got back in good shape, and uh, I never could get a chance to talk with Vince McMahon because, uh, like I said in the talk show last night, he has so much red tape around him. He's like an Eastern mummy. But I got through to Pat Patterson, and uh, I finally got it okay to come down for a uh, basic tryout, you know, like I was the green and starting all over, but at least I had that opportunity. And when I got down there, everybody uh, basically turned their back on me, and uh, they said, wait till the next day. The next day, they had uh, Chief J. Strombo come out to tell me that uh, I wasn't uh, going to be wrestling after I drove 1,900 miles one way. So I left and uh, drove back to Portland, and... Uh, you know, I know they had a good time laughing about the big rib they pulled on me. Do you think it was a, just an intentional prank? Uh, Patterson actually told you to come to uh, to the tapings, uh, let you drive all the way down there, and then uh, they basically ignored you when you got there? I believe so. I believe it was just a, a rib. I, uh, I was also a promoter in Oregon, too. So, I mean, I wasn't just a professional wrestler. I was a promoter. And uh, Vince McMahon's uh, nickname should be Adolf Hitler because he wants it all. And I think it was just a gag on their end. Well, if, uh, it's a pretty pretty sorry gag. If uh, You know, it's, it's really just uh, all the things we've been hearing over the last several weeks is just, uh, as a reporter, it's made my head spin. And uh, I can't believe some of the things I've been hearing. Uh, during that uh, stay, while you were there at the arenas trying to get work, I understand that uh, you were privy to a... Uh, a meeting uh, that took place uh, between Vince McMahon and uh, the other wrestlers. Can you well, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I I actually was not in the meeting myself. I had got there early at about two o'clock in the afternoon in Amarillo, Texas, and I wasn't allowed in the meeting. But uh, I did hear you know Vince yelling at the boys. Uh, Marty Janetti had just been busted for cocaine and fired and. Vince was getting on everybody about the uh, cocaine use and, and the drug use, which he actually created everybody's uh, drug use anyway himself. Uh, can you explain? Oh, yeah, I sure can. Uh, Dr. Zahorian, which I'm sure everybody in the panel is uh, familiar with, uh, nine months ago went to prison for I don't know how many years for uh, drug trafficking. Now, whatever Dr. Zahorian did outside of the WWF, if he's guilty, he should go to prison for it. But inside the WWF, he was definitely blackballed by Vince McMahon. I know this for a fact because I was there in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Sometimes 30, 40 guys would line up with this guy. And Vince would probably be the first one in line with his sack of groceries. But Vince's way out was saying that uh, he was just using steroids and he wasn't using the other drugs like the codeine, cocaine, placidil, Valium, which is a bunch of BS. But... Um, he was sent through the mail like 15 Federal Expresses from Zahorian, but since uh, steroids were, uh, weren't illegal back then, so he says that's all it was, he says he's not guilty. But it was every kind of drug you can think of that Vince was taking, too. He wanted to be one of the boys more than you can imagine, and I'm sure everybody in the panel, especially uh, like Barry Orton, understands what I'm saying. Yeah, Barry is uh, certainly listening uh, 
as is Dave Meltzer, who was here. Uh, we understand also the last week, uh, maybe a couple of weeks, uh, since uh, you did an interview with uh, the Los Angeles Times, uh, it's been a pretty stressful period in your life. Uh, can you explain to us uh, what has been happening uh, to you personally over the last few weeks? Well, I've, I've, received, uh, I've received a couple of death threats and uh, another last night. I really can't. Uh, it's alleged uh, that it's coming out of New York. I have no idea. It could be somebody pulling a prank around the Oregon area, too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I can't honestly say that that's the WWF. It's just kind of uh, funny that it's all happening right about this time. But I'm telling the truth, and I'm going to go right on telling the truth. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one thing I just want to bring up to our listeners out there and, and others who will be listening to this program tonight, I'm sure uh, representatives from Titan Sports are out there listening as well. Uh, we placed calls into the organization this past week, and we asked them. Uh, specifically, I called Vince McMahon's office and asked Vince uh, to come on this program tonight. I even offered him the opportunity to uh, uh, spend the second hour of the program on this show alone without any other guest uh, talking to him, and uh, we didn't receive a response back. So I just wanted to inform everybody out there that we have tried uh, this past week to get representatives of Titan Sports because we don't want to seem like it's just a total witch hunt or bashing them here. We're just uh, trying to uh, bring to light a lot of the things that have been happening over the last few weeks in the business. And uh, each day it just seems that more and more people are coming forward with stories. And uh, as, uh, as difficult as it is for me uh, to sit here and cover them, uh, and it's not very pleasurable for me to cover them. Uh, we feel that these stories must go out. So I just wanted to inform the public about that. And uh, it's just been, a, I guess, for you, Billy, a very stressful time trying to get back into business and uh, all these events that have been happening. Now, uh, I want to switch to Hulk Hogan for a minute. Uh, you were pretty tight with Hulk. Matter of fact, uh, you guys used to sometimes travel up and down the road together. Uh, I read a report, I believe it was uh, in one of the newspaper articles this past week in the LA, uh, LA Times uh, about a road trip, uh, uh, I guess going to Hulk's house, uh, leaving Madison Square Garden. Can you tell us about that? Yes, this was uh, about, oh, it was in 87, mm -hmm. probably September of 87. And uh, we, were, we wrestled at Madison Square Garden that night, and um, Hulk Hogan was driving and he invited us over to his house. Uh, myself, Brian Blair was in the back seat with me, and Brutus Beefcake was in the front seat. And on the way to Hulk's house, uh, uh, they were smoking pot and uh, popping some, you know, volumes and so forth, which is very common in the business, and uh, drinking. And uh, Hulk was, uh, you know, he started to get a little loose, and I just told him to, um, you know, if he could slow down a little bit. And he kept going fast and uh, going off the road a little bit, and I told him if, uh, he was to be stopped by a police officer right now. It'd be the end of his career because his, you know, the media would just kill him. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we kind of got in an argument about it. When we got to his house about four in the morning, he came in the room that he put me in uh, to go to bed and apologized to me and, and said, you know, uh, you're absolutely right. I'm sorry. You know, you were right. So you know, he had a lot of stress on him. You know, my my thing here isn't to, to bury Hulk Hogan, man. I mean, uh, Hulk Hogan's not the problem. The problem to me is really Vince McMahon. Did you see the uh, Larry King show that aired a few nights ago? Yes, I did. What was your opinion of that? Uh, my opinion, uh, uh, I thought uh, Bruno San Martino had done a great job. I think that uh, he got his points across as only Bruno could. And uh, McMahon, 
McMahon looked very scared, like a man who was lying, which he was. Uh, but, you know, McMahon's one of the greatest workers in the business. You know, he can, uh, he can BS anybody. I thought it was very unfair uh, the way Barry, I think, had a seven-second delay on answering any questions. And, uh, you know, when you're trying to, to watch on TV and listen, you have a seven-second delay, you know, what are you supposed to do? But I, I thought that uh, overall, uh, both the men done very well. Okay. And, um, Billy, you know, one thing we'd like to say to you is that we wish you, you know, the best of luck uh, uh, with your future plans. And uh, it's unfortunate uh, uh, that you're having a rough time right now. And um, because I remember you were, you know, watching you at some of the WrestleManias, especially the one match against Hercules here. That was a pretty hot match. And, uh, uh, you know, we wish you the best in the future. We really do. Well, let me say this if I could. Sure, go ahead. Uh, my reasoning for this uh you know, it doesn't stem out of me driving all the way down to uh, Texas. And, and that's something I expected out of Vince. I mean, I, all the way down, I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had to do with a number of things. Uh, one was out here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Don Owens, who's a promoter out here, was on TV for 38 years with KPTV Channel 12. And what Vincent Mann done, uh, he took his time slot away from him by going in and handing him a tape and say, put this tape on the air, you can have all 12 minutes of the commercial time. Therefore, getting Don Owens off the air, and you know if you haven't got TV in pro wrestling, you're dead. Exactly. And that's exactly what's happening to him. He's dying a slow death out here after 38 years of promotion. And then uh, uh, there's the Arsenio Hall show when Vince McMahon went on, I mean, uh, pardon me, when Hulk Hogan went on and uh, and said that he uh, publicly only used steroids three times. Well, I've injected it myself, and I know many, many other men have too, and it's not just steroids, there's other drugs, like all the other boys that Vince McMahon pushed into this situation, okay? But the main thing is it took guys like uh, Bruno San Martino, Schultz, Billy Graham, Barry Orton to come forth, and they're telling the truth. I've been there. I'm telling the truth. And every professional wrestler out there right now in their guts wish they could be out here saying the same damn thing, but they can't because they're scared of their position. And we're out here, and maybe the ball is really rolling now to get the truth really out there about this man, how prejudiced he is, how the drug use was really pushed on the wrestlers by him, uh, just on and on and on. The young kids, the homosexuals, everything. Vince knows all about this. Yeah. Well, I don't know. If, you know, I'm just trying to be objective here and just uh, uh, get everybody's side of the story. I wish there was an opposing viewpoint as well. I wish there was too. Yeah. It's just uh, it's just an unfortunate situation that has developed. And uh, 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 do you plan on going back to to wrestling at all? At this stage, I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, there's other great organizations. I, you know, WCW is, is great. There's other great organizations out there. But uh, Vince McMahon, you know, he uh, he's trying to monopolize the business. He is what he did. He gave uh, Kurt Henning his gimmick, and that's Mr. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, like I said, the way he treats blacks. If you, I don't. I hate saying black. I mean, yeah, black, what, white, wrong. This thing together. We're all brothers, and that's the way right. it should be. You, but, you know what I'm saying? Uh, pardon me, but uh, only 5% of the WWF wrestlers are black. And if you go in the NFL, NBA, or pro boxing, it's 90%, 80%. Yeah. And when he puts a gimmick on a black, it's like they're a slave, a Virgil, licking boots, Saba Simba, an uncivilized African, Kamala, Sapphire. You go on down the line, and what he's doing, he's promoting prejudice over the air. 
And if the uh, uh, community like the NAACP or Jesse Jackson or Mayor Dinkins would get involved here, they'd see what he's doing because he's going out there in hundreds and hundreds of television markets, billions of millions and millions of people, and promoting the white race over the black race. And it's not right. And I'm telling you, and I'm a white man telling you, the black people need to get involved here and check this guy out, investigate him fully. Well, I, I did want you to elaborate about those prejudices, and you, you certainly have done that. Well, I did, because yes. it's there. Yes. Okay. Uh, Billy, I, I, um, I appreciate the time you've spent here with us tonight, and we certainly would like to get you back with us in the near future to spend a little bit more time with you. Um, okay, God bless you, and God bless everybody in the panel. You're doing great, man. You're telling the truth. Keep it up. Well, thank you, and uh, best of luck to you, sir. Thank you. Where do you start? I, 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 not a happy guy. Yeah. Now, um, as I recall, he did go to WCW under a hood, right? I don't remember. Uh, wasn't he Black Blood? Uh, maybe. I don't even remember, man. That lasted not very long at all? No. I, no. I think that's the case. But Well, it sounds like, you know, listening back at it all these years later, that, you know, he had that... Uh, experience driving 1900 miles to a taping that he wasn't used for and uh, being told that they weren't going to use him. Uh, it, and you know, he brings up McMahon uh, taking the slot away from Don Owens. So, I mean, he definitely had a vendetta uh, against Vince here and whether what he was talking about was uh, pure allegation or if it was true, I mean, those are the only gentlemen that know. I mean, but, you know, McMahon did go around and took a lot of TV time from a lot of promoters and put a lot of people out of business. Uh, McMahon ran his business um, and expanded the uh, World Wrestling Federation into the global commodity that it's now become a public company. Uh, and he uh, he did a lot of things that um, he, you know, don't know how he feels about it to this day, but uh, he was not somebody that was liked. He was kind of czar-like in a lot of ways because he was he was uh, the ruler of this of this world. Um, and then when these other allegations start to come out, and this you know the repercussions from the steroid situation leading into the sex allegations, uh, guys like Billy Jack decided that there was a platform for him to be heard finally and. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, the TV shows that he did. And, of course, this particular program this evening uh, that was really covering some of the recent allegations, not even the steroid stuff. But uh, it segued into that pretty quickly. Well, that's that world. And here's your world. And here's Vince Russo. And yes. how did he how did he get that Ken Patera clip or tape or whatever that was? Well, I guess Vince was trying to do interviews like what what happened now to these individuals for the newsletter that we were doing together. And he started, you know, using the numbers that I had in, in my, uh, you know, in, in my contact list. And I gave him free reign for it. You know, call up and find people if you want. And that's how we got Patara, uh, I guess, to talk about what happened or where he was now. What was he doing? And then it led to you know, uh, uh, a booking, uh, at least a taped phone interview for the show. So uh, Russo was getting into a world that he 
did not expect when he started the partnership with me. He obviously wanted to cover it from an entertainment standpoint, but he started talking to people. And uh, as the, as you know, even on the a couple of conversations, you know, the conversation I, I listened to a couple of days ago, he had no clue and had no idea what he was getting into. And it wasn't a world that it wasn't a world that he was happy being involved with. He wanted it to be old time wrestling gimmicks, storylines, characters, um, and uh, this stuff was not his cup of tea. Well, whose cup of tea was it? You know, but we were in it together. At, you know, at least for another week or two. Uh, but the Patera stuff, uh, yeah, that was kind of interesting for me when he when he said he got Patera and Patera wanted to come on, and he taped an interview with him. Uh, it was quite uh, explosive, even what, what Patera was saying. Yeah, and this is this is going to be another long clip because after commercial break, you you return with Vince Russo. Right. He talks about a phone call with Ken Patera, one of the great stars. I mean, one of the great oh, yeah. WWF performers of all time. I, I don't think he history gives him enough credit. He was really good from the 70s into the 80s yeah, in WWE. He was fantastic. Olympic, he was a strong man. He had great charisma. He was a huge star. Um, uh, but he had his problems, too. He had a lot of legal issues himself. Oh, yeah. Uh, that we all can recall. I think one of them was out of McDonald's where he threw <laughs> there was a, some big incident there um whatever but uh yeah and then vince uh obviously and he's the one that uh you know brought to light uh the allegations from uh lord littlebrook and the karate kid because he was just trying to find out why the midgets as they were called back then were not being used and you know where where is lord littlebrook and then all of a sudden these stories came into uh, came into uh, you know to, came to Vince and and then he uh, wanted to bring them on the show. So uh, and then I brought it up on the Donahue show, and I was kind of like that was an embarrassing part for me because it was so bizarre. Uh, but uh, he's the one that really uncovered it, not me. <laughs> Even though I still get uh, I still get blamed for it all these years later. Yeah. Well, this is going to segue into a phone appearance with Lord Littlebrook and the Karate Kid. Yep. So, and this is a long clip, so let's just get to it, shall we? Let's do it. Vince, I'd like to speak to you for a second, if we can. Uh, you have really uh, sunk your teeth into the wrestling business over the last couple of months, uh, getting involved with the Pro Wrestling Spotlight and helping form the Pro Wrestling Spotlight Weekly Newsletter. Uh, we have a segment in the newsletter which you originated called Where Are They Now?, and uh, this past week, you were on the phone with Ken Patera. Correct, John. Okay. And uh, Ken had a lot of things to say. I guess you caught him at a time where some things were running through his mind, specifically about the WWF uh, uh, CEO, Vince McMahon. Well, uh, Ken had a lot of things to say, John. And basically, um, I was just asking him specific questions about his career and how he got started in the business. And um, he went off on a tangent on the WWF and uh, he said some things to me that really took me by surprise and I think we have a segment of that tape to play for the listeners out there. Okay, why don't we play that tape uh, right now? There are a couple of obscenities in there, so just be careful with those. Throughout the years, yeah, I met a lot of nice, honorable people. Yeah. But uh, bye-bye now. I can't really say that there's too many left. Where do you think the business is headed with the way it is now? Um, 
Well, Vince had the stranglehold on it, and he did it with his personality. You know, it's not his ingenuity or his genius, uh, mm-hmm. so-called, by the gay uh, 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 portion of his uh, operations. You know, they all thought he was a fucking... Uh, People and mm-hmm. up on them, and you know, fraternizing the homosexuality to the to the hilt, you know. Yeah. But uh, no, he uh, he stepped in. Uh, he's he's uh, intelligent enough to realize what he had on his hands. Yeah. And being in the New York market, you could just about do whatever you want to do with an item. Yeah. He had a powerful item, a product that could be really. You know, taken to uh, uh, Fifth Avenue and marketed to the hilt. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he did. He surrounded himself with brilliant people. You know, Vince is a no dummy. Yeah. Oof. Okay. Uh, we're back here live. And um, secondly, I guess in a, a few weeks back, Vince, you had interviewed. Now, this is going to be a bizarre story coming up. And the gentlemen are on the phone now. They're waiting for us to talk to them. Okay. Uh, Vince, a few weeks back, we did uh, an interview. You did an interview. Uh, where are they now? Uh, with uh, one of the fraternity of uh, midget wrestlers by the name of Lord Littlebrook. Well, John, basically what happened was it was almost six weeks ago where I did an interview with Lord Littlebrook. I felt it would be interesting to uh, speak to a midget wrestler, being that we don't see midget wrestling uh, uh, that often. Yeah. I had mentioned to Lord Littlebrook, I said, Lord, why do we no longer see midget wrestling like we used to when I was a boy growing up? And he had mentioned to me was there's a reason why midget wrestlers aren't used, but I'm not going to go over it over the phone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, at that point, I left it at that. With all the news breaking this past week, I kind of put two and two together. I called Lord Littlebrook back this week. Um, The interview went a step further, and I think he's going to tell you some things tonight that you're not going to believe, and I think it's best to go to him on the phone right now. Okay, thank you, Vince. And uh, why don't we do that right now? We're on the phone. Uh, is Lord Littlebrook and the other party on as well? Yes, sir. Okay, uh, I'm talking to you, I believe, Lord Littlebrook and the Karate Kid? Exactly. Okay, how are you guys doing tonight? Oh, not too bad. Weather's good here. Everything's fine. Okay, where are you uh, guys in Missouri somewhere, I guess? Yes, St. Joe, Missouri. Yes. Okay. Now, uh, Lord, are you, were you responsible for, for getting uh, a lot of the, the folks in your fraternity work with the various wrestling organizations? Yes, I've been, uh, well, I've got... I've got 40 years in the business altogether. And, um, I have trained many, many midget wrestlers over the over the 40 years, mm-hmm. and kept them working and in different states. In fact, just about every country you could possibly think of, you know. Right. Unfortunately, uh, here in the U.S., uh, unless you go to an independent show or some, in a small little town or a high school, uh, you don't see very many midget wrestlers anymore. And I understand uh, that. Uh, a situation took place in Madison Square Garden that needs to be brought to light, and uh, it involved uh, the Karate Kid. Kid, are you listening? Yes, sir, I am. Can you please explain to us, uh, you know, what happened that night at the Garden? Okay, well, this night at the Garden, whenever you wrestle in Madison Square Garden, you must take an EKG test. And um, what I did that night before we got in the ring was drink some coffee, a big glass of coffee and a large Coke. And I took the EKG test, and um, doctor said that it wasn't too good, that it was was irregular heartbeat, which I've had all my life. And um, they told me if they told the commissioner, I wouldn't be able to work that night. Mm-hmm. And so um, they went ahead and let me wrestle that night. And later on down the trip, uh, an agent, Pat Patterson, um, I've heard many stories about the man. And uh, as I grew up in the Bay Area, he was one of my idols. 
He was a big star in the Bay Area, the Cal Palace. And I've heard stories about him being homosexual. And so, uh, anyway, this night, before before one of our matches, Pat came in the dressing room and uh, came over and shook my hand, introduced himself. And as he shook my hand, he uh, played with the palm of my hand with his finger. And to me, I took that as he was put, trying to put a pass on me. Mm-hmm. Did he do anything else? Anything else happen? No, not, not too much else after that, but... Uh, what happened afterwards, since I didn't play along with his game, so him and a couple other people said I was using drugs, that I was on cocaine. And later on that trip, we had a, our last night of the trip, we had a match somewhere outside of New York. And um, all these agents came in there, and I was told that I wasn't, wasn't allowed to go in the ring, that I was using drugs. And um, the point of it was, was my point is that the um, thing was, it wasn't the drugs that was the issue. It was because I did not play the game, and that was their way of getting back at me. Hmm. Can I step in there and say something? Go right too? ahead. Go right ahead. Well, you see, I trained Chris, the karate kid, mm -hmm. and uh, I trained him for this business. And he's, he's more like family, really, than anything. And um, I have four children of my own. Youngest one, ten and a half years old. And uh, the oldest one, 16, just turned 16. And if Karate Kid was using drugs of any form, and I don't care how mild it is at all, I would not allow him around my children. Okay. Not only him, anybody as far as that goes. I don't take him myself, and I would not allow him around my children. And in fact, when I get new boys in to come in, I mean, I didn't mean to break in on Karate Kid in your conversation, but I want to make this clear to everybody that and when I get a new midget that wants to come in, the very, very first thing I ask him, I say, do you take drugs? Are you an alcoholic? Now, I drink. I'm not going to say I don't drink. And as far as I know, uh, maybe 60% of my people drink, but not to the point where... Um, you could say it's anything bad. Right, so you're saying basically that, uh, as far as you know, Karate Kid uh, certainly was not a drug user. Uh, I, I, wanted, I wanted to touch base with you just briefly about something. Now, this I would bet my life on it that he is not. Okay. Uh, did you approach or talk to Pat Patterson uh, uh, about uh, what had happened between, the, uh, between himself and Karate Kid at all? Yes, yes I did. Uh-huh. He came to me and he said, Brookies, I need to talk to you outside. This was Pat Patterson. Mm -hmm. So I went outside and, like, you know, I, I, first of all, I thought it was like business because you don't always discuss your business in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. So I went outside and he says, um, the karate kid, he said, uh, is, he on, uh, is he on drugs? And first of all, I thought it was a joke because I think it was just a night or two before that that the karate kid was so nervous and he, he couldn't hardly, uh, well... He could not hardly talk that alone uh, restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, I said, what is wrong with you? And he said, well, Pat Patterson, he said, he keeps messing around with me in the dressroom and that day, he said, he's got me so nervous, he said, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. And I talked to Pat, I said, Pat, would you leave this kid alone? He was only, I think at the time, he was just turned 21, I think. And I, am I right or wrong? Yeah, about 21, 22. About 21 or 22. Just breaking into business. Right. And I said, would you leave the kid alone? I said, he's, he's green. I said, he's new in the business. And I said, uh, he's scared to death. I said, the kid, you can't even talk to him, let alone work with him. And he said, oh, he said, I, he said, I didn't mean anything by it. He said, you know, he said, uh, I just like the little guy so much. He said, and 
you know, he said, I just like to play with him. I said, well, Pat, because I've known Pat for a long, long time. In fact, I can go back 30 years with Pat. And if Pat questions me, I'd gladly question, uh, talk over the phone with Pat. Mm-hmm. But I can go back 30 years with Pat. And um, I said, Pat, I said, the, the kid is straight. Why don't you leave him alone? So, oh, he said, I, really, he said, I didn't mean anything sexually. So, mm-hmm. take it from there. Okay. And then now- I told Karate Kid, I said, Karate Kid, just don't listen to him. Just, just tell him to leave you alone and just walk away. But anyway, the, the, the kid, he was just a nervous wrecker. So then he calls me outside and he asks me about, is he on drugs? This was like two days later. I said, no. I said, he's not on drugs, Pat. I said, no, I would, I would bet my life he's not on drugs. And I told Pat the same thing I just told you. Mm-hmm. I said, I have four children in my house. I said, and you think I would allow anybody in my house, I said, whether it's Karate Kid or anybody, around my children, if they were on the, the kind of stuff that you say they are? Wow. I said, no way. Okay, uh, did, was Vince McMahon, after this situation uh, had taken place, and uh, was he ever informed of what happened? Yes, sir, he sure was. Now, the, the karate, I'll let Karate Kid tell you this story, because um, the Karate Kid, he, he came to me and he asked me, he said, Brooke, he said, and now this is like a couple of, oh, this is, this is a few months after. Yeah, a few months after, and... Um, and you guys were stopped, you guys weren't being used anymore. No, <laughs> here's, what, here's what happened. Go ahead. We had to, what I had to do, the last night there, they wouldn't let me work in the ring. I said, you can stand on the apron, you're not allowed to tag in, you cannot wrestle tonight. And I couldn't understand why, you know. And um, So anyway, they said I had to come back home and take heart tests. Well, I did. I came back home, I put myself in the hospital because the only way my insurance could cover it. I went in there and I took a bunch of heart tests. You stayed in the hospital, what, four days? Yep. And the doctor told me that I was fit to wrestle. He signed the papers. And from that point on, WWF told me I'd have to carry my papers around in my wrestling bag in case this ever happened again. Well, after that, they hardly ever used us. They never used us again. One time. One time, and then I wrote Vince a letter, personal letter. I don't know if Vince ever received it. My guess is it got intercepted, like most things do over there. And um, so after that letter, we got one more trip with them guys. It was maybe 10 days. And after that, they never used us again. Mm-hmm. Well, you explain the situation, and uh, you assume that Vince never received it. My guess was that he never did receive it; that it was intercepted. Oh, if he did receive it, he never, he never, he never answered back or anything like that. There. Well, I, I think it's a, just a sad situation that the uh, uh, that you know the major wrestlers have not been used. Vince, you wanna you wanna say something here? Yeah, John, I think what what the important issue here is, um, basically, we've had individuals come up and challenge Vince McMahon, challenge Pat Patterson, uh, challenge Terry Garvin, etc. Here you have a case of a group of midgets, 20, 25, as many as Lord Littlebrook had, who were used for 30 years, 10, 10 times a month for 30 consecutive years. After this one incident with Pat Patterson in the locker room, they were used on one other occasion and have not been heard from since. That's something that... Uh, what, I, what I would like to... Yes. Well, one thing I would like to make clear is that years ago, many, many years ago, I used to work for Mr. McMahon. That's... Um, Senior. Vin, Vinny's father. Okay. And... He was a gentleman and a scholar. I worked for that man for many, many years, and he was—he treated us with the utmost respect, and I respected that man, too. He was a good man to work for, and I cannot cut Mr. McMahon down one bit. 
And as far as Vin is concerned, well, he listens to these um, people he has around him, so he must enjoy their kind of stuff. Otherwise, why in the heck would he let it go on? I mean, if he tells you that he had no idea about the homosexuality in, in their office, that is crap. That, that is absolute crap. He has to know it because everybody else in the business knows it, and a heck of a lot of people out of the business know it. So you can't tell me a man runs a multi-million dollar business and doesn't know what's going on in his business. Mm -hmm. If I was running the business, I'd like to know what was going on in it. Well, I know, uh, you know, it's probably hard for you guys to talk about this stuff. And, uh, you know, we appreciate both of you coming on with us. And we hope in the future uh, that midget wrestlers can get more work. There you have it. Really fascinating to listen to it again and try to dissect it and try to go deep and, and, and try to analyze it. Uh, obviously, you know, whatever that situation was with Pat Patterson, um, Pat has always been known, was always known to be someone that would prank, rib, and make light of a lot of things, you know? So uh, it could have been a situation where um, it was taken the wrong way. I mean, it's really hard to to dive deep into what really happened and why these guys were not used again after all these years. And, you know, in the beginning, when he talked about the heart rate, the irregular heart rate, when he finished a big cup of coffee and a soda, and then his, uh, you know, then he wasn't uh, good physically for the commission to allow him to perform at the garden and, and him being nervous because Pat made him nervous. I mean, Pat just made him nervous. But, uh, you know, I would love to know the real reason or, you know, if that had anything to do with them not being used again. But uh, it really is a strange and, and it really is a sad story and a sad chain of events that led to these guys not being used again only one time after the incident with Pat. And what did Vince know? Did he get the letter? from Chris, the karate kid, um, really stuff that, uh, we don't have answers to listening back to this. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate on this one. Okay. I think at this point in history, Oh God, this is going to be hard to say, but I'm going to just say it. The type of wrestling that was midget wrestling seemed antiquated. The same as the wrestling bears is the same as certain forms of women's wrestling that were just so old school that I think that it was pretty much time to move on from it at this stage. The product was getting more streamlined and sophisticated and, and shown on television in more, um, you know, sports, you know, the, the shows were fancier. They were, they had special effects. They had bigger arenas. They had fireworks, so on and so forth. I think at this point in time, midget wrestling was starting to be a relic of days gone by. I'm sorry. So, I, I you just, think it was, you think it was a coincidence? Huh? You think it was a coincidence? No, I, I think it may. Or have, I think it was a, an excuse or a reason to say, all right, we don't have to use these guys. But anymore. you know what? When Vince because McMahon, the business was involved, evolving. The, though, here's one thing I know from what I do. When Vince McMahon makes a decision, he makes it quick and he sticks with it. For instance, 
I happen to know that when he threw the wrestling magazines out, he did it on a whim and he did it real fast. The minute he decided he was putting his own wrestling magazine, we all were out in yeah. one second. People who had covered Madison Square Garden cards for 30 years were, were suddenly out in the cold. And I think Vince made a, a decision to end the old school women's wrestling and midget wrestling at about the same time. And whether what we're talking about here had any effect on that, I don't know. But I do know this. This is just my opinion on it. I, it just, at that point, in 1991, 1992, I can't imagine wrestling, midget wrestling on a WWF card. I just can't. It just seemed passe. I'm sorry. I just, that was the vibe I got listening to all this. And, I, you know, I feel for Lord Littlebrook and I feel for uh, the Karate Kid because I think they got railroaded. It sounds like they got railroaded, you know. But at the same token, if there was a snafu going on with Patterson and these guys, I could see McMahon going, this is not worth my time to get into all this and just cut him loose. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, when Russo, uh, and he, he mentioned it on this show, that he had talked to Lord Littlebrick six weeks prior uh, before all of this stuff had actually been uncovered, and he asked him why he didn't, uh, why they didn't use the uh, the midgets anymore, and uh, and uh, Lord Littlebrick told him, well, you know, there's a reason I don't want to get into it. And then Russo called them back when the allegations broke about the sexual harassment, and that's when they came out with the, the, these allegations too. So, very fascinating, uh, and you know, a, a debatable. Uh, yeah. It's it, very, it's all, you know, only one guy really knows and he's yeah. certainly not going to talk to us. Right, he's right. the one with all the answers. That's for sure. Well, you know, it, it, there's the thing. We are only speculating. It's all yeah, we can do. That's all we can do. Even 30 years later, this is all speculation. Yeah. Uh, and listening to all, it's still, it, it's it's becoming fascinating to me as I listen back to it, especially that segment, because it was like you know you, you're 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 not uh, guys who lost their income, they lost their positions, uh, they're not being used anymore. Uh, what was the reason? Was it because it was antiquated, as you say? Was it because he pissed off or you know accused Pat Patterson of something that probably didn't go over? Although Pat was a ribber. And uh, he was notorious for that. And he used to like kind of in a way he used to like making guys feel uncomfortable, mm -hmm. knowing that he didn't have any intentions of doing anything. Uh, but uh, he was uh, that's the way he, he was. That was his personality. And, you know, Pat is beloved or was beloved by so many people. And what a creative genius he was. And, uh, you know, to this day, as I've mentioned previously, I mean, uh, I, I, I really uh, feel uh, bad that he was lumped into a lot of this stuff, especially when it came to the minors, you know. So, uh, yeah, what a fascinating, fascinating time period it was trying to get through it and, and report on it. And no one from the other side would ever talk to you. Mm -hmm. That was the hard part. That was and the hard part. I mean, if they could just clear it up, come on on and talk about it. All these people are throwing these bombs at you every day. There's more bombs. If you have an opportunity to go on a show and have a forum and speak 
your side of the story instead of ignore it. You know, but, uh, you know, you can't change history. Yeah. And a lot, you know, even to this day, you know, McMahon does his first uh, live interview in 15 years with Pat McAfee. And I thought it was freaking fascinating mm-hmm. on how he looked and how he sounded and how and how he was at this stage of his life where he didn't seem like a bad guy <laughs> on that interview. Uh, but, you, you know. know but look, yeah. look, look, the history too. The history. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that he uh, executed and did, and you know the way he operated business, the way he uh, treated performers. I mean, there was just an interesting guy. He's the guy. He's the kind of of this pyramid. He's the top of the pyramid, right? But he only knows what happened. It's all in his head, and I don't think we'll ever know what was going and, through his head at that know, time. At this point, his empire was so so huge yeah. that maybe he just disregarded some of this stuff. Oh, I'm sure that had a big part of it. He did disregard a lot of it. He ignored it until he had to address it. Right. Right. Well, I will say this, too. I only met Pat Patterson once or twice, and it was very fleeting. But I know a lot of people that work for him, a lot of wrestlers that were intimately involved with him, and I have yet to hear anybody say a bad word about Pat Patterson, and that's all I know. Yeah. That's all I know. Yeah. I didn't know him that well. I'd met him a few times. I'd met him first through Ernie Roth, the Grand Wizard, uh, and um, but I didn't never really had any conversations with him. And then after all this was said and done, I mean, I actually went to a Madison Square Garden show after Pat had come back from his resignation and when he was back fully as Vince McMahon's right-hand guy. And I had uh, some seats and I was uh, at that dressing room entrance sitting on the side of it at Madison Square. And he came out and he looked at me, he saw me and I looked at him and, and um, it wasn't a nice look I got from him. I'll tell Ooh. you that it was not, it made me very uncomfortable and, uh, I, I wanted to go up to him and talk to him, but I never, I never had the balls to do it. I should have. Oh boy, yeah, that must have been a moment. Yeah, that was that was in, uh that was probably ninety. That was after I had left the business and come back after you know. Ironically, the WWF was one of my biggest radio advertising clients when I worked in country radio. I mean, I, oh. I got a ton of business from them, but they didn't know who I was. Well, you'll have to thank John Anthony for that. Well, that was John Alexander. <laughs> that was John, when I worked. Oh, that was radio, John Alexander. I'm that was sorry. John Alexander, and, and you, you know, I reached out to the WWF because <laughs> I heard them advertising in other stations, and I met with Hugo Maslick was the guy's name. He was the head of media buying for the WWF and doing promotions in the Northeast with uh, media partners, and he took a liking to me. He he thought it was he couldn't believe that I knew so much about wrestling, but he had no idea it was John Arezzi. He thought it was John Alexander. And uh, he started spending tons of money with the stations that I was selling advertising for with ticket giveaways and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. And we'd have breakfast every week. And and we had a great friendship and a relationship, but he never knew. Oh, John, what a life you've had. <laughs> so many different hats, so many different phases, names. Yeah. Yeah, wow, it's, uh, that's different what I can say. for sure. It's interesting. Well, I, I, meanwhile, my name is Bob Smith, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, right. But anyway, um, very generic name. <laughs> very well, I have a multitude of names. But anyway, uh, yeah, um, 
we're going to go on now to Barry Orton. And I will say that the tape, the original tape provided for the show was cut. Yeah. And you don't hear that. the introduction for Barry Orton. So he's in the middle of his remarks. Yeah, I can explain that, though. It was like when we uh, recorded on cassette, uh, you know, when uh, one part of the you have to flip the tape over and that tape wasn't flipped over. Uh, by Vince, who was ever in the control room until after Barry's introduction. So that's why the beginning of his conversation was cut. And that, that probably accounts for a lot of, when we go back through these shows, you hear little gaps in the tape, and I think oh, that's yeah. probably why most of the time. Yeah, but we have them, which is good. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you get the meat of them, that's for sure. So this, I, I have, uh, the name I called this in my production notes is The Accusations. Yeah. Because we're going to hear Barry all. Barry Ort makes some florid accusations here, and Bruno Sammartino is about to join in. And uh, here we go. Above and beyond everything, I am, I am for the First Amendment. I believe that people should have the right to choose and live any lifestyle that they that they, that they choose that makes them comfortable. And you know, but I don't think that that lifestyle, whatever it is, should be pushed on anyone else. Now, we take uh, Pat Patterson, who is a, a admittant known homosexual, and he is turned on then, we have to assume, by nude men, sexually, okay? And he's in a situation where he's in a dressing room every night with, with numerous nude men, grabbing them, you know, in, in the buttocks and, and in the testicles. And, and my answer, you know, I just can't understand if, if it was a situation where it was a male basketball coach of a women's basketball team, society would never accept it if this guy was in the dressing room grabbing the women on the buttocks when they come out of the shower, grabbing their breasts and grabbing them in between the legs. And to me, you know, it's the same thing. It is definitely sexual harassment any way you slice it. Now, the second incident that happened to me uh, shortly after the incident with Pat Patterson and Terry Garvin, as I was driving, Pat, uh, Terry Garvin was my single passenger. Uh, <clears throat> we were going from Amarillo to Albuquerque, which is 300 miles, about six hours, about 40 miles out of town. He started propositioning me that I let him perform a sexual task upon me while I was driving. I don't think it takes a lot of imagination to figure out what that task would be. Uh, he was, you know, he, he was very persistent, and of course I just kept explaining, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm not like that. Again, I was 19 years old, and I was trying to be as, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, friendly as, as I could about it and, and not insult him or make him feel embarrassed. I said, you know, that's not me. I'm not into those kind of things, and, and you know, nothing personal. I, I still think you're a heck of a guy or whatever, you know, but no. Uh, then 40 miles later, he would start again, and, and each time he became more and more persistent. Uh, and this went on throughout the whole trip. And then, you know, in between these these uh, little har harassments, I would try to strike up conversation that was, you know, more banal, of more banal nature. And he was sitting there, you know, pouting like a, like a little kid or something. You know, I mean, he would barely talk to me and he would just look straight ahead with this big pout on his face. But, you know, again, at that time, I, I accepted that as being something that happens, and, and I really didn't give it a, another thought until I was in a situation where he worked uh, in an executive position with the WWF, and he still treated me unfriendly. And uh, so I know that if it came down to the wire between me and a new guy, you know, they're going to come back, whatever, they're going to go for the guy that they think they might be able to score points with. I would also like to say that these that these men get more of a thrill out of going after 
uh, young men who are heterosexual and trying to pressure them into, you know, that's their thing. That's what that's what they get. That's what gets them off much more than if they were to go to, uh, say, a gay bar in a gay environment and, and pick up some fellow there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 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 the power thing. And, and, and I believe that that's what's going on. OK, incredible stuff. Um we're going to bring on Bruno San Martino, and I know Bruno has to get up early in the morning. He's on his way to New York for the Donahue Show also, and um, let's bring uh, Bruno on if we can uh, right now. And Bruno, of course, appeared with Vince McMahon and uh, Barry Orton on the Larry King Show a few nights back. And Bruno, first of all, I want to apologize. For, uh, uh, the show has just been uh, nonstop and explosive tonight. And first of all, how you doing? How I'm you doing? Tonight? I don't apologize. I've been listening, and everything's very interesting. And hello to your guests as well. Hello, Bruno. Hey, Bruno. Uh, Bruno, you appeared uh, a few nights back on uh, on Larry King, and uh, for the first time, I would guess, in, uh, in a long period of time, uh, uh, you were face-to-face uh, via television monitor to Vince McMahon. Um, what is your impression of that particular program and uh, everything that was said uh, during that show by Mr. McMahon that night? Well, for me, it, for me, it was very frustrating because I know the men, and I know for so long, for me, you know, it was very, very clear as to how, what a, a obnoxious liar he is. And knowing that, of course, the people who were watching the show don't know him like I do. Uh, I, I was frustrated because I thought some people might actually believe the, the, this liar. But also, it, it, it told me one other thing about him, you know. A lot of people think that he's a very bright man. I never believed that. I'd say that he was smart enough to surround himself by some smart people, but he himself is not all that bright because if he were smart, like other people think he is, he wouldn't have conducted himself the way he did. He should have learned from Hogan's mistake because if you remember when Hogan went on the Arsenio Hall show and lied like an idiot, that backfired on him because it turned a lot of people off and a lot of people came forward and started saying what a liar he was. McMahon should have learned from that because he lied so bad on the uh, Larry King show that I believe the same thing's going to happen. I, I think that more people are going to come forward. More uh, uh, people are going to come and say, hey, what's he talking about that his door's always open? Man, I tried that and I did this and man, I, I, I had to hit the road after that. These things will come back and, and, and really prove, uh, you know, show everybody just what, a, what an obnoxious liar he really is. Uh, let's take, for example, the steroid situation he brought in. He had the audacity to suggest that his steroid test or whatever, that it blows away the NFL, you know, uh, baseball, all of them. Now, here in my own town of Pittsburgh, uh, recently, maybe you guys read about it in your parts of the country, where two football players, one failed a, uh, a steroid test, the other one failed a Coke test. Man, these things were on television, radio, uh, newspapers, not for one night, but for the whole week, because uh, they failed these tests, okay? I guess we're to assume that McMahon, in his, in his great testing systems that he has, that all these people have always come out clean, because certainly nobody out there has ever seen uh, on television or heard on radio or read in the newspaper of any of the WWF failing, whether it be a steroid test or a coke test. And yet, isn't it ironic that we see that some of these people are being arrested by the police on drug charges. Yeah, it is, uh, it is ironic, uh, to say the least. Vince attacked you personally the other night as well, Bruno. Uh, uh, he brought your son's name into the whole situation. And uh, to me, uh, when I saw that, uh, my own personal opinion about it, I thought it was very child childish. I thought it was very immature. Uh, how th- That must have really angered you as well. No, well, there, there again, to me, I'll tell you what it did. It again shows how ridiculous and pathetic he is because... 
take the charge that he said. He said that I'm mad because he fired David because David attacked the fan, okay? I would say this, that the uh, rules should exist. And if David or anybody else hits a fan, maybe they should be dismissed on the spot. Fine. He says it. And he says that David not only did that, but he was also a steroid user, okay? Now, isn't it ironic that uh, David was working for him at the time, and yet he knew already that David was a steroid user, okay, while working for him. And yet, isn't it ironic that when David uh, uh, got in trouble with this fellow, okay, and he was dismissed, he also released to the papers that David San Martino, son of Bruno San Martino, has been fired by the WWF because he uh, hit a fan or whatever, however they worded, and the WWF does not condone such behavior. And so he was immediately, uh, you know, in other words, fired. Yet, prior to that and after that, we, there were articles in the paper where, for example, Macho Man Sa Savage hit some 11-year-old boy, according to the papers down in Florida, mm -hmm. uh, because the kid had done something to touch Elizabeth or said something to Elizabeth. I'm not sure. The kid had, was taken to a hospital, and I think a lawsuit was filed. Jake the Snake Roberts got involved in, uh, in, in a fight with a fan someplace else, which he was sued, and I understand he lost the lawsuit. Uh, never a word from McMahon or or were these people fired? Greg Valentine in my own town here in Pittsburgh hit a fan, and there was a lawsuit. And there were many, many others. Yet nothing was ever said. So again, it shows McMahon and and the uh, and what he's all about. Because if you have rules, rules should apply for all. So you're saying, uh, so but as far as for me and him firing David, maybe David, I don't know how he felt about it. For me, as a father, I was elated because I think that no parent who knows anything about a filthy organization like that would want any member of their family to be affiliated in any way, shape, or form. So like I said, I can't speak for David, and I won't. But for me, I thought that that was the best thing could happen because David had never been a steroid user. Uh, but when you get involved into a filthy organization like that, you're going to become a steroid user and a user of other things because that's what that organization's all about. Bruno didn't mince words at that point in his life, did he? No, he didn't, you know, and I'd been... Bruno was... Straight from the hip, Bruno had his opinions. Bruno was uh, not a happy guy, and once again, all roads lead to one individual. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was interesting to hear Bruno's take on all of it, and um, there was a lot of disdain there. There was a lot of hatred there, uh, on a personal level and a professional level, for sure, for sure. And I understand a lot of it coming from his standpoint too but yeah. Uh, oh yeah because he watched the business gradually change in oh, a direction yeah. he did not appreciate no no and a lot of people uh, criticize him for some of the things that he did a lot in the latter parts of his involvement in wrestling and all the outspoken uh interviews that he did but uh, he had a love for the industry he was a big part of the history of wrestling he was beloved he was um an idol, an icon, and he hated what the business he left turned into once he returned, and uh, it was all coming out of Bruno. Right. Well, this next clip is my favorite, if I can okay. have a favorite on a show like this, because we hear John Arizzi, who has been sitting there taking this all in and absorbing all this stuff like a sponge, well... You're going to vent a little bit in this clip, John. Do you remember how you were feeling at this point? Yeah, I was uh, I was getting fired up. I mean, hearing all the allegations, 
knowing that I couldn't get a response from the other side, the fact of even going back with all the steroid stuff that I was covering and, uh, you know, just the ways that they did business and the ways they ignored you and the way they dismissed you. And, and, and I hated seeing the business turn into what it had become myself. You know, as we know, I was covering the business as a kid, uh, as a teenager at the garden every month, taking pictures, you know, seeing what a wonderful business it was, what a passion I had for it. And it was, I didn't have that anymore. Uh, I was covering something that was just so, out of what I thought pro wrestling was, it wasn't fun. And I have to admit that listening back to my tirade, which we'll hear on this clip, I'm not proud of it. I'm supposed to be a journalist. I'm not even, I'm not supposed to editorialize on what was going on, but I got sucked into the magic of a Billy Graham promo and all the other stuff I was Mm -hmm. hearing. And I let loose And I have to apologize to everybody today because I'm not proud of that moment, even though you thought it was I think you thought it was kind of cool to see me rise up and 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 start yelling and saying some of the things that I did on, I believe, in this clip. Um, And it wasn't something that I was happy about, nor to this day. Right. Well, I will say this. At this point in wrestling radio history, this is probably the biggest assemblage of stars and journalists ever put in one place even i mean by the, <laughs> without a doubt had dave Meltzer and bruno and superstar and barry orton and all these other people well uh, again and you couldn't enjoy it because yeah. it wasn't an enjoyable topic or at all no oh man but anyway um it's entertaining least, and when you hear billy <laughs> yes yeah well you know what let's let's get to the the, right. the the ever so uh Humble. Meek and mild <laughs> superstar, the former WWE world champion, and we're going to have a roundtable discussion right now. This is a long clip. This is, folks, this is a great one. So here we go. And uh, we're joined here right now, uh, Bruno and uh, one of your adversaries back in the 70s. Uh, uh, we're on the phone with uh, one of the legends of pro wrestling, former world champion, and joining us in studio, uh, superstar Billy Graham, former World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. Billy, you just got off a plane from uh, Burbank, California. Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to be here. I just got off that plane from L.A., man, and uh, a little bit tired. But, you know, I feel like there is an army right now rising up with Dave Meltzer, John Rizzi, Barry O, Bruno San Martino, David Schultz, superstar Billy Graham, just to begin the army. There is an army rising up against Vince McMahon and the WWF, and the evils of the WWF will be exposed. Well, you're in town, of course, for the Donnie Show tomorrow. I'm psyched for this thing, as you can tell. Uh, the Donnie Show tomorrow, <laughs> folks. I want to give that a plug. Here in the New York area, it'll be seen live at 4 o'clock, WNBC Channel 4, uh, and that'll air tomorrow, and it'll air on tape delay elsewhere in the country, uh, but that is tomorrow. And uh, Bruno, of course, you'll be on the panel as well tomorrow, coming to New York. And uh, 
It's I, yes, go ahead, Bruno. I just feel bad that uh, from, uh, from my understanding is that they've invited McMahon and I think Basil DeVito and this Plenament and I don't know who else. This is at least what one of the Donahue people told me yesterday. But thus far, uh, at least if I understand it correctly, they're not to uh, they're not to they're not responding. It doesn't seem like they want to come along. No, they have not responded. They, uh, from what I understand from talking to Don the Donahue uh, staff, uh, they were asked to come on the program. I invited Vince on this program tonight, even by himself for an hour and uh, didn't hear anything back. I wonder why. I wonder myself. <laughs> okay, Bruno, I wanted to bring up a, uh, something with you. I mean, even, Bill, you can answer this, but Bruno, I'd like to direct this question to you. Uh, Vince McMahon on, on the show the other night said that Mel Phillips was an occasional laborer. Of course, you've known this. You've known Mel. I've known Mel for almost 20 years. I, 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 I choked up on that one. I, I, I thought maybe I misunderstood. I, I couldn't believe that the man said that. Uh, here's a guy who was in charge of the ring crew, so he was on the road as, as much as any wrestler because he was uh, seven days a week. Besides being in charge of the ring crew, and I don't know what other jobs he really had, but besides that, I know he was also the ring announcer. Yeah. I mean, he was a full-time employee of the WWF, and I don't understand how that man could say, in fact, you know what's ironic? He said that, and then the next day, I was here at home doing something, TV was on, and what comes on the WWF? Of course, when they come on, I usually shut it off, but what, what do I see? The first thing I see is Mel Phillips ready to do the, the announcing for the first match. Yeah, I've seen him on television for <laughs> so many Phillips, consecutive very weeks. Same guy. Listen, what, what, what I'd like to do for the panel here is uh, uh, the fans are chomping at the bit to get on the air and, and, and ask questions uh, probably to this whole topic and I think it's just fair now we have another 35-40 minutes to go here that we start taking some calls from the listeners uh, if you'd like to talk to us about this topic we're here with Dave Meltzer uh, superstar Billy Graham in studio Barry Orton the living legend Bruno San Martino give us a call now at 212-477-5610 that number again is 212-477-5610 and we'll be more than happy to uh, take the calls I'll be responsible in here for for taking the calls. Uh, all I would need to do now is just basically find out uh, uh, what callers are coming in, and uh, we're going to start taking those immediately here at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. And Dave, before we take calls, I want to direct a question to you. Now, uh, as a wrestling reporter, uh, you know, I talked to, um, you know, Phil Muchnick, uh, you've talked to him yourself, and he's saying you guys are, are pretty much reporting on something that could put you out of business and, and lose your livelihood. Uh, one thing I want to emphasize, and, I, you know, I don't want to editorialize or whatever, but Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation, Vince McMahon has said the World Wrestling Federation was not professional wrestling, okay? He always wanted to distance himself from the world of professional wrestling, the other organizations. He never acknowledged the WCW or NWA's competition. I really feel that the wrestling business should distance themselves from what's been happening in the World Wrestling Federation. Hey, there are people in the wrestling business. I'm sitting with a group of gentlemen here. There are other independent promoters out there trying to make a living. There's a company down in Atlanta run by Ted Turner. And uh, uh, there are some reputable, reputable people in the wrestling business. There are some respected journalists in the wrestling business. Uh, so for McMahon to say... Hey, we're not wrestling. We want to distance ourselves. We're not professional wrestling. We're the World Wrestling Federation. We're sports entertainment. I think the rest of us now should say, hey, you guys are sports entertainment. You're the World Wrestling Federation. We don't want anything to do with you or the, the alleged incidents that have been happening in that front office. It sickens me to know that maybe all of us are going to be lumped into the same category, and I hate that. I despise that. Well... I don't know. I don't. I don't want to go too um, too in deep on uh, on this whole thing, but I do want to make one point, and it was uh, something. The one thing that really um, kind of upset me, I guess, on, about the Larry King show the other night was um, 
Vince McMahon um, had a good chance to defend himself, and he just was incredible, and it kind of saddened me because um, I really wanted to see a, a new WWF and just say, hey, look, we've made mistakes. We all do. Everyone makes mistakes. and just go, we've made mistakes. We're, you know, whatever happened, we're going to fully cooperate all the way, and whatever comes out, comes out, and... You know, if it's bad, we'll take the lumps, and if it's not bad, then everybody retract everything they've said, because right now there is no proof, okay, I mean, there's no proof of anything as far as in a court of law or anything like that. Vince is correct, but let everything come out and don't hide anything. Okay, he, he mentioned something about uh, having an investigation, an internal investigation, but he also said that he over, that he knew that none of this stuff happened. Now, if he'd had an investigation over the charges that Barry Orton made, how come he has never contacted Barry Orton? He never asked me. I, I, was, I talked to Vince McMahon a couple of times. He never asked me for Barry Orton's phone number. He never said, you know, please get me in touch with Barry Orton. Now, he has done that with Billy Graham in the past. Asked me to, get, to help him get in touch with Billy Graham. He never said, help me get in touch with Barry Orton and let's get to the bottom of this. It was just a denial. With, uh, when he denied all use of steroids in the World Wrestling Federation, that was the end of his credibility. Just flat. Which he said the other night. He said that Friday night. If he had said, look, steroid, you know, we had a problem with steroid use in the WWF, which he's never publicly admitted to, but is common knowledge. If he had said we had a problem with it, we are testing. We are doing our best. Steroid use is down, which it is, okay? And, they, and, and you have to give him credit. It is down for whatever reason. I don't know if it's for, you know, because of uh, Vince McMahon or because of the outside pressure. I believe it's more because of the outside pressure. Okay, uh, someone just sent me a note that it was... Uh, Vince McMahon, I think, or somebody has been mentioning about legal steroids, and steroids have, have always been illegal without prescriptions, and a lot of wrestlers were taking steroids that were not legal, even though the law that everyone's talking about changed in November of 88, but that's getting off the subject. Um, Kip Fry has been on numerous radio shows. I believe he's been on your show. The steroid question has come up. Kip Fry admits that there is a problem. Okay, If Vince says there's a problem, we are doing our best. We are going to work our hardest to get rid of it. That is a tremendous answer, a tremendously believable answer, because he is working, I believe, to get rid of it. But when he goes on television and says, nobody in the WWF uses steroids, that is a lie. And he knows it's a lie, and that just ruined a tremendous amount of credibility from my, from my point of view. Okay. Uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, line number one, we're going to go to Chris from Breezy Point. Chris, you're first tonight. Hi, John. I never had it. How are you doing? Okay. Um, I was wondering, do you think uh, WrestleMania 8 is it for Hogan? Excuse me? Is WrestleMania 8 uh, put for Hogan? I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, WrestleMania 8 is going to be the last time you see Hulk Hogan for quite some time, uh, maybe forever in the WWF. I think that uh, that's going to be the end of it for him. Also, what do you think the future holds for wrestling? I mean, with all this stuff you know, going on. You know, that's a question that I, I wish I knew the answer to, and I wish I could even speculate on, Chris. I don't know. I'm very, very, I'm very um, gloomy about the future right now, at least at least the, the short term. You know, I think once the dust settles and, uh, you know, whatever happens is going to happen, uh, I am hopeful, because I love the professional wrestling business, I'm hopeful that... Uh, that the slate can be clean and people can respect this industry uh, because it's entertained and uh, millions of people, millions of people over the years have gotten their, uh, their money's worth watching pro wrestling shows and enjoyed it and uh, spent a lot of time watching it. I just hope that uh, the end is not here. Uh, anybody want to comment on that, Bruno? Yeah, if I may, I would like to tell the gentleman that, in my opinion at least, that for, for wrestling to come back, first, what's in it has to die. The McMahons have to disappear from the scene. 
I hope that McMahon, if his business isn't this, you know, is not this lucrative anymore and keeps going down, it will not be worth it for him to stay and gets out. Once that happens, I would hope that maybe somebody who, who legitimately cares for professional wrestling uh, maybe will have learned a valuable lesson from everything that's happened with an organization like WWF, and perhaps there'll be a rebirth of wrestling, which will take time. It's not going to happen overnight, but that's the only thing that I see that will bring wrestling back. As far as, uh, in, in my opinion, as long as McMahon stays and WWF stays, it can only keep going backwards. It will not come back because there's no credibility. People are, are, are becoming more and more offended by the overall uh, behavior of the whole organization. So in my opinion, at least, there's no way that while McMahon and the WWF exist that, that it can resurrect. It's just going to keep dying. They have to get off of the wrestling business and others have to come up in order for wrestling to, 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 uh, to have that, that rebirth. Okay, let's go to our next caller. Joe from Elmhurst, you're next. Yes, John, I've seen you at a few of the shows at uh, the various hotels, so I think we share the same beliefs and the same feeling about wrestling. I think, as a matter of fact, we're the same age. Mm -hmm. And I remember begging my father as a kid to take me to Sunnyside Garden to see Bruno. And back then, all you had to do was say Bruno was on the show and it was a sellout. Yes. And Bruno didn't come on with any gimmicks. And even Billy Graham didn't come on with any, any gimmicks, except maybe a tie-dye shirt. He would say a little rhyme, and you go and watch the wrestling. Now it's all uh, animals, it's birds, it's snakes. And friends of mine at work, we, we really enjoy wrestling. And we talk about matches. We don't talk about what the guy wore, uh, who he brought into the ring. We like to see good wrestling. Or how big his body is. Right. And I, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, Bruno and Billy Graham fought at Madison Square Garden. I forget what year it was. And I think that was the first time they had the wrestling in the closed circuit at the Felt Forum. And mm -hmm. I went to that match, no. and it was fantastic. Yeah, they've had closed circuit matches there a lot and between Bruno and Billy, but I think the first time was, again, with Spiro Sarion. It was yeah. Spiros. Yeah. And I remember Spiros when he was, at that time, a friend of Bruno's. Uh, I remember uh, well, Earl Monsoon wrestling when he had a beard. And yeah. basically, he came on with a robe, and Wild Red Berry was his manager. Yeah, so I uh, think those were classic times. Those were great, great times in pro wrestling. Right. And, uh, uh, but, you know, we, we're hopeful, uh, everybody who uh, is in the pro wrestling business right now is hopeful uh, that uh, uh, it can uh, maybe turn the clock back and uh, and get back to the way it used to be. Let's go to the next caller here right now. Anthony from Brooklyn, you're next. Yes, what's up, guys? How you doing? What's your question? Um, do you think all this pressure is going to cause Vince McMahon to leave the WWF? No, I don't believe so. I think... Uh, Hopefully, hopefully, when this is all said and done, in my in my opinion, hopefully, um, it will cause uh, professional wrestling to at least um, self-examine itself, learn from its mistakes, and go on with a much better product. I I know there are people who think that this is the end for the WWF. I completely disagree with that. I think that they are going to survive, and I just I just hope that when all is said and done, that whatever is wrong is cleaned up, and we have just a better wrestling business. Okay, thanks for your call. Let's go to our next caller. Hi, you're next. Yes, uh, this is Paul from Flushing Queen. How you doing, Paul? What can we do for Fantastic. you? Fantastic. I have two questions. Uh, number one, do you think the best thing that ever happened to the WWF is what Ric Flair came into the WWF? And also, number two, did Bruno ever uh, wrestle against Flair? No, I never wrestled Flair. I retired, really, in 1981. And I'm not going to suggest to you that Ric Flair was a nobody then, by no means. Ric Flair had already established himself. But I was at the very end of my career, from like uh, the late 70s and what have you. And Flair was with the NWA. And uh, no, we never had the opportunity to wrestle each other. I wish I had, but we didn't. Well, uh, yeah, as far as Flair entering the WWF, I think it was... Uh, uh 
I enjoyed it as a fan uh, and also as a reporter watching Flair in the WWF. Uh, uh, but I think maybe his timing certainly wasn't the very best time to get into that organization. Uh, Billy, you ever wrestle Rick? Uh, yes, on a couple of occasions I wrestled Ric Flair and a uh, very formidable uh, opponent and a uh, tremendous conditioned athlete and uh, have the highest respect for the man. Okay, let's go to our next caller. And we do have other callers calling in, so can we just uh, possible out there screen those? Uh, there. I see the phone's ringing here off the hook. Uh, you're next. Hello. Who am I speaking with? Hello, uh, this is Bob from Babylon. Bob from Babylon. How you doing, Bob? What can yeah, I do for you? Yeah, I just wanted to ask, now with the uh, firing of Terry Garvin, will that bring to an end the uh, Terry Garvin School of Self-Defense? Uh, <laughs> it's interesting that you brought that up, and that's kind of an inside joke uh, that they even mentioned on their uh, their telecast, the primetime. You know, I, well, the first time I saw that, you know, I, I've known about Terry Garvin's, uh, uh, you know, his sexual preference, which uh, if you're an adult and uh, two consenting adults can do whatever they want, in my opinion. Opinion, but uh, it was an inside joke on their telecast. Uh, you yeah. know, Terry Garvin, uh, uh, Steve Lombardi went to the Terry Garvin uh, School of Self-Defense. Terry was behind him all the way. You know, these are statements that went out to the public. Yeah, and the thing, the thing is, is part of the point that, that I, this is Barry Orton speaking, part of the point that I've been trying to make all along is you take a guy like Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn Brawler, uh, Pat Patterson introduced him and broke him into to professional wrestling. And, of course, uh, rumors amuck. I mean, I've been checking into a hotel myself uh, when they were sharing a room and the uh, hotel clerk said, uh, would you like two double beds, you know, which is normally what they ask you when you're, there's two. And, and Pat Patterson would say, no, give us a king and look over at the rest of us and smile and give us the wink. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, here's a guy who can drug a, a, a girl uh, put drugs into her drink, take her to his room, rape her, and then her mother goes uh, looking for her and finds the room, goes crazy, and somehow or another, uh, and this came from the source's mouth itself, the, this was all shoved underneath the carpet and there were payoffs and uh, it was something that was never even, uh, it, it, there was no prosecution or anything, and this guy is still with the WWF. Yeah, but let me say something real. Uh, let me let me end this subject on the on the uh, Terry Garvin School of Wrestling. This comment, as an inside joke, would go out over the airwaves across this country. So it shows you the, the it shows you what Vince McMahon thinks of the public. It shows you what Vince McMahon thinks of the listeners, of his fans. It shows you what he really cares about the people, the Hulkamaniacs, uh, the wrestling fans in general, where he would slur and where and where he would. Take to the point of, of, of um, sexual innuendos and, and, and create an atmosphere of making a joke out of young men being molested by, by executives from the World Wrestling Federation and make that a joke on national television. They said this man should be in prison with Dr. George Zahorian. That's, that's a quote from Billy Graham for, just for, for, for allowing those statements to go out across this country alone. All right, very good. Well, I'm sure um, Mr. McMahon is probably listening out there. I right hope now. he is. Uh, we're going to go to our next caller here. Uh, I believe this is Barbara. Yes, it is. Barbara, how are you? Okay, how are you? What can we do? Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York. Okay, what can we do for you tonight? Okay, first of all, I'd like to say that Bruno Sammartino, superstar Billy Graham, and them, I've seen him since I was 11 years old. And here I am at 29, so you imagine how how long I've been listening to that. Hey, moment. wait a minute. I'm 29 also. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I find to be very best fans of them, even though they haven't been wrestling for a long time. 
But anyway, um, I see a great difference between when they were wrestling and now the wrestlers of today. There's too many gimmicks. There's been too many um, names like The Undertaker or whatever. And I think the WWF is just doing it to try to make money instead of showing pure wrestling like they did before. Well, they always said that they're not wrestling. They say they're sports entertainment. Uh, uh, you know, they're a Saturday morning cartoon, pretty much, is what they've turned into. And, uh, because it's directed at the children who will yeah. buy the merchandise, merchandising. Exactly. Yeah. But they have the, they, you have to admit that they have the right to do Thanks that. Actually, that, that, that is, uh, that, you know, that's, you know, Vince McMahon run, runs the company, and he has a right to whatever type of uh, um, product mix that he wants to generate, and hopefully there will be others if people don't like his... Style. I mean, as long you, you can't get mad at him for whatever style of product he wants to do, so long as he can make a profit doing it, and uh, he's the boss. It's his company. Yeah. Good point. Uh, number to call here is two one two four seven seven five six one zero two one two four seven seven five six one zero. Let's go to Mike. Mike, you're next. Uh, yeah, I just what, wanted to say... Uh, where are you calling from, Mike? I'm calling from Long Island. Okay. Uh, what happened to the profile uh, that was supposed to be on 2020 last night? The Dave, piece, they pulled that. Do you know when that's rescheduled for? Dave, Dave Melzer can answer that best. I no, guess. I think Billy can. The Billy, last... I'm sorry, you were involved with that piece. The, the 2020 now. piece was pulled uh, Friday. What's going on with that? Yeah, the 2020 piece, I'm, I'll be in their offices tomorrow uh, Tomorrow morning. There's been a new, a new uh, person taking over the actual editing and uh, production of the 2020 piece, and uh, I'll be there in person tomorrow morning to discuss the actual uh, uh, new air date. Uh, it hasn't been canceled and uh, uh, for a reason of not wanting to show it but i believe uh, what has happened there are so many breaking stories with this um uh wrestling that uh, they don't want to run a piece and 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 have um, and have stories and have their piece appear to be old with uh with the with the news breaking daily they want to stay right on top of it to the last minute and then air their piece and get it on and look as current as they as they possibly can so that might that might even be two or three uh, two or three weeks from now okay let's go to our next caller hi you're next Hello. Yes. Who am I speaking with? Okay, I am. Uh, I am an individual licensed by the uh, New Jersey State Athletic Control Board. I'd rather not give my name. Okay. Uh, uh, as far as that piece on Larry King the other night, I uh, uh, I feel it's obvious that I don't think McMahon said one thing that was true. But one thing I can say is I'm looking right now at a list from the New Jersey State Athletic Control Board, dated October 1990. Under the list of announcers is one Mel Phillips, and his address is given as 1055 uh, Summer Street. Uh, oh, that's no, no, that's okay. That's, that's, okay, that's, 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 a, that's a Titan Sports That's address. the Titan office. Oh, that's Titan's office. Yeah. Well, yeah. Isn't, I thought he never worked for them. That's, that's quite curious. <laughs> that's a good point there. I'm glad you brought that it's up. Another lie by the McMahon organization. Yeah. Another deception is what that is. Anything else, sir? That's it. Good luck, guys. Take right. care. Take that polygraph, Vince. <laughs> Thanks for bringing up that point. Uh, we are... Keynote break. Say what, Bruno? Just take a, take a polygraph, McMahon. That machine will blow up. That <laughs> have blown. That have blown that satellite off the sky. You know, listening to this clip, okay, um, the callers. We heard this a, a lot on your show, and around that time, oh, we weren't wrestling the way it used to be. Let's. I miss. I remember the days when. Do you remember how it used to be? Well, right around this point, Vern Gagne would go on ESPN and go, "We're wrestling." We're wrestling. And Bill Watts got on WCW and called WWE a macabre cartoon. Which ones fizzled and which one hung out? You know, which one which one stayed the course and which organizations died?
I rest my case. Well, yeah, they all died. <laughs> yeah. Um, they all died. You know, the king of the mountain is at that time and throughout uh, the era where he decided to go national, go worldwide, has been Vince McMahon. Uh, and um, I tell you, though, it was listening back and hearing all the viewpoints and the callers and one guy <laughs> and uh, the Terry Garvin stuff uh, was fascinating to listen back to because, you know, between the Terry Garvin stuff and the, there was a lot of inside jokes that went over the national airwaves with. Uh, so, you know, it's just kind of like it's so it's so ugly to cover. Just like we said, we can't come to any conclusions here. All we know is that uh, uh, there was a guy who ran the Federation, who ran the company, that kind of knew a lot of stuff that was going on and um, turned a blind eye to it. But, um, you know, allegations can't be proven. All the ring boys that had allegations against the WWF, they were, they were many of them, were settled, settled. out of court. Right. Uh, Tom Cole, who was uh, who showed up at Donahue that day after getting a settlement from the WWF. Um, I mean, so yeah, there, these are questions that we will never know. They're they're for speculation, and they're in history. And listening back to this episode and all these performers and. It's just it makes your skin crawl about what was going on back then and what was going on was uh, ugly stuff. But the people that were mostly associated with at least the people who were accused, uh, they no no longer can defend themselves because they're not here anymore. They're all they're all passed on. They're right. And, and a couple of them just recently, like uh, Barry Orton. Yes. I, according to my research on this, he, he died about a year ago. Uh, I, right. I, the date I have is March 20th, 2021. Right. I remember that because uh, uh, Greg Oliver slammed wrestling and one of his reporters, uh, Jamie Hemmings, was very close to him. And, and then, of course, we lost Tom Cole, who was the, 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 the probably the, the most uh, important piece to a puzzle to all of these uh, underage sexual allegations. Mm -hmm. Tom Cole is dead. He hung himself. Right. Um, so it destroyed his life. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to talk about, you know, uh, but uh, we had to cover it. We did cover it. We're going to leave it up to everyone's speculation and your own opinions and, it was not an easy one for us to do here, Bob, as you know. Right. Uh, but we had to do it because it was part of the history of what Pro Wrestling Spotlight was covering and what was involved in on March 15th, 1992. Right. Right. And I think um, I think that, um, you know, it was such a, a sad, tawdry, nasty, you know. Yeah. Just the tone of so much and the accusations flying so fast and furious. We'll never know, gang. You know, and 
it, it's just like we said earlier, this was the point in history when this was headline news all over the country, not just on John's show, but um, on news networks and, and, and late night talk shows, everything. And syndicated, so, syndicated uh, shows. I mean, yeah. the Inside Editions, the Geraldo Rivera's, uh, the CBS Evening News, Donahue. Plus more. There was more. You know, I don't know. Twenty twenty. I think they eventually did a piece. You know, I, I think they did. I'm not really. I, don't I, even... I believe they did, but like yeah. again, thirty years ago. Uh, right. You know. Right. I mean, you know, for the you know, if and we played a good portion of the of the show on on this uh, look back on the podcast, but uh, the complete episode is up for patrons uh, at uh, patreon.com slash John Arizzi. So um, uh, it's all there, and there'll be uh, other supplements uh, for you to listen to and view at our Patreon there. But, uh, wow, Bob, I mean, uh, I want to thank you for um, sitting through this. I know it was a hard one for you out of all the shows we did. This was the one that you were not looking forward to doing. and Exactly, we got, yeah. We got, I, we got through it. And again, like I say, it's a bittersweet for me because uh, these were my waning days at PWI, a job I did not want to leave. Yep. You know, it was just uh, fate that took it away from me. And, uh, you know, because they moved. The company moved to Pennsylvania and they didn't want to go. And, and that's why I left the company. Uh, it wasn't for any other reason but that, you know. I thought that was going to be my job for the rest of my life. I really yeah. did. So, so this episode even drum, drummed up even more uh, disenfranchisement, maybe, with you and the wrestling business and your own personal job. What was going well, on yeah, in your, your life back then. Yeah, the, the fun aspect on so many different levels was like waning so badly that I was, you know, I was just uh, pondering yeah. my fate at this point. And this brings it all back by listening to these clips and the conversations in our office and the way we were all reacting to it there. It's It wasn't a happy time for anybody. Let me, you know, no. and you looked at it from a business perspective, too. I mean, you know, yeah. are people going to want to buy wrestling magazines when they hear all this stuff? No. Are you going to buy a no, wrestling I, magazine for your kid? Maybe not. I think all of this, uh, all of these uh, allegations, all of these scandals, it certainly had a lot to do with the wrestling uh, attendance just dropping off a cliff. Uh, the business between the sex scandals, the steroid scandals, uh, the business was in jeopardy of never achieving the success that it had previously as sports entertainment or pro wrestling or whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, we all know that it bounced back and people still love their wrestling. And even though the audience numbers, uh, at least the ratings are not where they were uh, years ago, um, people are still watching wrestling. It's evolved mm -hmm. into something different than it even was back 30 years ago or 50 years ago or 20 years ago, but it's still out there for you to enjoy. Yeah, and, and one thing I've discovered after all my life involved in the business and watching the business is that it's so cyclical, and it's like a roller coaster ride. We're up. We're on top. Oh, yeah. Nobody's watching the show. Five years later, oh, my God, the it's NWO. Yeah. And then everything gets hot again, and then there's the hardcore area, and then there's the uh, attitude era. It has its peaks and valleys. It always yeah. has, and I think it always will. 
Yeah, and I think we're entering a really good phase of it right now with the uh, competition that AEW has brought to the mix and, you know, just watching their show and seeing Steve Regal and seeing their pay-per-view recently. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff there, and um, and there's more to come. I mean, people aren't tired of pro wrestling, and there's that hardcore fan base that will always be there. There's that hardcore fan base that always listen to shows like this and want to know the history. Um so you have to, like you said, it's eras, it's different things. And the his, that's what, that's what history is all about. It's covering the good, the bad and the ugly. And that's what we did in this episode. We covered the ugly of professional wrestling that was happening in real time 30 years ago. Uh, next week, we'll get a little bit of a reprieve because we have a normal show uh, where uh, Gary Michael Capetta from WCW is in the studio co-hosting and, Michael Mansky's there and we have some, you know, some really good banter. And I, I believe, yeah, we even all, we also have a couple of su- surprise guests from WCW from that time, Johnny B. Bad, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. They're both on the show next week as well. Uh, and uh, it's the final week of my partnership with Vince Russo. Uh Oh, and I just want to throw a spoiler out there. The way the show ends next week, the way the show ends next week is so fitting and so ironic, especially what happens two weeks from now when I announce that Russo and I have broken up. You got to listen to it. That's all I got to say. It'll entertain. It'll entertain. Uh, and then we have to really get ugly again in two weeks because that's when the Russo stuff hits the fan and, and we're done. Wow. Wow. Oh, boy. I'm going to have fun pulling clips for that one. (laughs) A lot of history. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, you will. All right, Bob. Listen, thank you again. I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you, John. uh, Always a pleasure, man. Uh, This is going to wrap up this edition of John Arisi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Please, please join our Patreon group. Hear the history. Relive it all. 150 shows in the archives. More to come every week. Video clips, photo sets, uh, vintage magazines sent your way. Uh, Patreon.com slash John Arezzi, five bucks a month gets you in the door. Don't forget to check out our sister podcast, Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden, covering all the shows I covered from the Mecca of all arenas 50 years ago to the day the show takes place. And right now, seven episodes available, including the March 12th. 1972 show where Bruno San Martino co-headlined with Pedro Morales, Bruno against Smasher Sloan, uh, Morales against uh, Baron Cicluna in the main event. And it was the night Pampero Furpo. Now it was actually a night King Curtis busted open gorilla monsoon and a fan ran into the ring to put a towel over monsoon said, go ahead, Bob. Baron Mikel Cicluna was not a jobber. Thank you very much. There you go. He was not a jobber, really. He was a he was a guy who won titles and was always a mainstay heel. And absolutely, that's the, I've been on that for twenty five years. I've been yeah. oh, he's a jobber. He lost on TV. Never, never looked there, at him as there a was, jobber. There, there was more to him than what you see on YouTube, folks. I'm telling you, he was a major star from the yes. late sixties to about seventy two. So there you go. And look at that piece of history from seventy six when he was in the ring against Gorilla Monsoon in right. Philadelphia when. Muhammad Ali decided to get involved in a pro wrestling match. And you have some amazing photos from that. I time, certainly don't you? do. I certainly do. Uh, that's all in the archives. And I'm, 
Yeah, before we wrap, I'm, I'm t- actually talking to s- some companies uh, over the next week about opening up a, a photo store where these vintage photographs can be framed. Uh, there'll be a whole gallery, and uh, so we'll see what the deal looks like. But um, uh, the more every day I'm getting people like, you know, where can we buy these? Can you sell them? And there may be an opportunity for that uh, coming up uh, pretty soon. We'll keep you uh, uh, informed about that and updated. Uh, we're opening discussions. There's other things that we're opening discussions about that I can't uh, talk to you about right now because they're not solid. But there's a lot of lot of activity right now, Bob, lots of activity. And I want to remind everybody once again uh, that uh, check out, if you want to see some really cool vintage pictures, go to Instagram at John Arezzi, Twitter at John Arezzi. We're on Facebook. You'll find us there. Uh, merchandise, we have going to have some updates about merchandise really soon, having a conversation tomorrow with our merch partner, um, talking about trading cards too. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on. But uh, we'll continue more of this discussion next week. John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight Podcast is a production of Matt Memories, LLC. Our wonderful co-host, Bob Smith, our producer and editor, Alex Robertson. Donnie Leibel covers the time capsule each week. And the Pro Wrestling Spotlight's creative director is our friend Marsh. Thank you to the Patreon executive producers, Jeremy Priest and Matt Walsh. And, of course, all the patrons for your support of the production of this show. Until next week, when we relive more history with you, this is John Arezzi for the Pro Wrestling Spotlight.